I can admit it freely now. All my life I've been a patsy. For as long as I can recall, I've been an easy mark for the pitches of peddlers, fundraisers, and operators of one sort or another. True, only some of these people have had dishonorable motives. The others, representatives of certain charitable agencies, for instance, have had the best of intentions. No matter. With personally disquieting frequency, I have always found myself in possession of unwanted magazine subscriptions or tickets to the sanitation workers' ball. Probably this long-standing status as a sucker accounts for my interest in the study of compliance. Just what are the factors that cause one person to say yes to another person? And which techniques most effectively use these factors to bring about such compliance? I wondered why it is that a request stated in a certain way will be rejected, while a request that asks for the same favor in a slightly different fashion will be successful. So, in my role as an experimental social psychologist, I began to do research into the psychology of compliance. Neil, how's it going? Going pretty well. This book was one of the more influential books. Ah. Uh, sorry for the bad pun. <laughs> uh, we're off to a great start. We're off to a good start. Uh, yeah, no, I I don't know about you, but I read this book for the first time uh, maybe in like 2013. So, it, but it yeah. had been a while, so I was pretty excited to reread it uh, yeah. for the show. It's been a long time for me as well, and it was fun rereading it and seeing how many of these stories have been repeated in other books oh, since yeah. then, and how yes. many of these concepts keep coming up in other books. And in the spirit of going to the source material and the original best versions of some topics, I feel like this book is one of those where so many other books on convincing people and sales and even social psychology, really, you can just go back and read Influence, right. and you'll get <laughs> a, much, a more concise, more original version of the stories. And it's it's entertaining. Yeah, it's That's really entertaining. entertaining. I, I guess before we go too far, the book we're talking about is Influence by Robert Cialdini. Cialdini? Cialdini. Something like that. Yeah. Sorry, Robert. <laughs> Hopefully that's how you say your name. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like the go-to text for understanding how to influence people, whether that's convincing them to buy something, convincing or understanding how you're being influenced by advertising or salespeople or anything, basically. Yeah. Well, and I like the way he frames the book as he had always fallen for this stuff his whole life and he wanted to figure out why that was happening. And we all do. And we all do. It's not yeah. just him. <laughs> that, that's the fun thing about reading the book. <laughs> as you go through it, you see all of these examples where, oh yeah, I fell for that before. Or, oh, that's what was going on there. Or it's like, it makes things make more sense. Yeah. And it, this book also, because the way he frames a lot of the examples being like, some of them are from charities, some of them are from companies, like some of them are just human to human interaction. It makes you almost more understand, at least for me, I know when I first read the book, I was like a lot less judgmental of like tactics that people use mm. because it's just tactics. Yeah. Really like their heart might be totally in the right place and they might be doing a great, like a totally great cause, but they're using a tactic that you would might, like if you knew they were using the tactic on you, you might get almost offended by it. Right. Or right. pissed off. It's like, I see uh, what you're doing. Yeah. 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 But it almost makes you more understanding. It's just like, this is how people get what they want. And that's the other cool thing. People use these tactics, whether or not they explicitly know that they're using the tactic. Yeah. That's right. True. Some people are just innately good at some yeah. of this stuff. Well, and some of it is just common sense. It's like right. social proof stuff. It's like, of course, like, yeah. people, like you don't need to read this book to know that like if you can show social proof for something, you know, it's more likely that people will want to do that thing. Yeah. Yeah. That would be sort of the, the Talebian interpretation of some of the stuff, right? It's yeah. teaching birds how to fly, right? It's, some yeah. of these things are sort of intuitive and obvious if you've been around selling or trying to influence people for long enough. Right. And then this is like putting explanations or just onto been it. A human being. Yeah. Or just like, been there's a, human a reason being. why like, you know, 
Nike or Adidas or I think it's Nike like pays LeBron James an infinity amount of dollars yeah. to <laughs> have uh, have their logo on his shoe. Yeah, you know exactly. So well, that that's yeah. also authority, yeah, which is another is one. True. Of the, yeah. 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 So the I guess we should say the book is broken down for anyone who hasn't read it or hasn't read it in a while. Uh, it's only really six chapters, six main chapters. There's an intro and a, an epilogue, but then it's six sections on the six main influence powers. I mean, like weapons of influence. And it's reciprocation, uh, commitment and consistency, social proof, liking, authority, and scarcity. So he pretty much just focuses on those six areas. And each of them have a lot of nuance within them, which I thought was a cool way to break it down because these are the six main umbrella topics. And then he digs really deeply on each of them, the pretty long chapters. And he brings in a lot of examples that show the nuance of each one. And some of the other cognitive biases, heuristics, mental tricks that we're familiar with fit under these umbrellas. And this ties it together in a really nice way. A lot of these reminded me also of the uh, Charlie Munger episode that we did. Yeah. Well, Charlie said that this book was a huge influence on him. So huge uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get bored of this eventually. <laughs> yeah. And for anybody listening at home, every time we say influence, you have to take a shot. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. You have to you have to make a mushroom coffee. Oh uh, yeah. Yes. Mushroom coffee. <laughs> Foursigmatic.com slash think. Yep. 20% off. And we are drinking some. We are right drinking now. some right now. Yeah. yeah, it's delicious. And we're also having some MCT oil powder from Perfect Keto in there. Uh you can also use think or go to perfectketo.com slash think. Yep. And they're doing 20% off as well. Or if you go to the Made You Think podcast. Dot com it's true. We have links to all of these yep. there. You can support your favorite ramblers and tangent takers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So for those of you who think we're drinking during the show, we are, but we're we are. Drinking something but else. it's mushroom coffee yes. <laughs> and MCT oil and occasionally bone broth. Yeah. Actually, we haven't had bone broth on an episode. We yeah, will that do was, that we will next time. Yeah. <laughs> Kettleandfire.com slash think. <laughs> that one's harder to work in. Yeah. Right? Because it's not, it's it's like it's we really be, good for you. We should be average. eating like a stew or something. Yeah. Drink. We need to <laughs> make like some carni I, I, when I make carnitas, I put bone broth in there uh, yeah. and it just like adds a nice extra flavor. So maybe we just tell people how we like what we're what we ate the night before using <laughs> yeah, bone exactly. broth. Like, Neil, what did you eat? Yeah. <laughs> the As you were reading influence. Delicious bone broth. Yes. Anyway, so I think the other thing that I like about this book is that it is framed from the style of you could use it as a how-to manual, right? Where it's like, if you want to be a better salesperson, you know, a better manipulator. That's why I read it. I'll be straight up honest. I was in a sales (laughs) role and I was like Googling what different sales, like salespeople that I admired, what they were recommending to read. And everybody mentioned this book. So I was like, all right, I'm going to buy this book then. That's the one to read. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he said in the intro that he feels bad now. (laughs) Well, it reminds me of like, trust me, I'm lying for Ryan Mm. Holiday, where even in that book, he talks about, I was like, yeah, you could probably use this as a playbook. This is more so you're aware of what's happening to you. Right. And then uh, Robert Greene says that too for 48 Laws of Power. Yeah. Where he, like in the intro also about how, you know, somebody could use these maybe maliciously. Definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, but like he's like, this is more as an exposure. I wonder if that's really all these authors' true intentions. But it could just be a hook yeah. at the beginning, right? It makes it intriguing. It's like, I don't mean this, but you could use <laughs> yeah. it to get whatever you want in life. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. I'm definitely reading this <laughs> yeah, book. <exactly. laughs> uh, the other example I like is How to Lie with Statistics. Oh, I haven't read that. That's a great yeah. one. But the author actually goes all the way with it and writes it 
as sort of a satirical how-to manual. So, so do 90% of people use it for... No, I, I actually think the flip side happens there where mostly you read it to realize how people are lying with statistics, but it's written as if it is a how-to a manual. manual to like oh, make like shit that. up using yeah. numbers. Uh, so it's a really fun read because the author is like very clearly joking around, but is explaining things where it's like, oh, wow. It's, it's so useful. Yeah, so it's still super useful. That would be a good one to do sometime. That would be fun. But when we get to Lebon, we'll get him to be there for that one. <laughs> how, yeah, he would like it's true. Yeah. And how to lie with them, bullshit. especially. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I suppose that we should just Let's go start. ahead and hop yep. into the first one here. So it opens up with reciprocation, right? And essentially, the rule says that you know whenever we get something, we feel obligated to give something back, yep. right? It's just like something about human nature. There's trade built into all of our relationships, and we have this fairness. What Munger would have called the Kantian fairness principle of, you know, it's like you do something nice for me. Now I have to do something nice for you. Or if I do something nice for you, you're probably going to do something nice something for me. For me. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, there's a few things I, I really liked about this part. It's like, well, one, you see it everywhere where yeah. you see like, you go to like Costco, right. And they have like the free sample people giving out free samples and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's this principle, like straight up in action. I mean, part of it's like, you know, yeah, w- the rational parts of our brain want to try something before we buy it and that, but it's also like, well, if the company gave me something for free, like there's a subtle, like, oh, I owe them one right. kind of feeling. Exactly. Now I have to buy some, I feel bad. Right? Yeah. So samples are, you know, and I, I don't, like this happens in every industry. So, but like cosmetics does it really, really well where they do sampling a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, they've, they might not explicitly know this principle or maybe they do, but they've seen it in action and they've seen that it works. Like if you do give people samples, they are much, much more likely to buy. And I like how he, the reason he gives for it too. I don't, you know, I hadn't until reading this book, hadn't thought about this, but most of us, this is from the book. Most of us find it highly disagreeable to be in a state of obligation. Mm -hmm. And that's so true. Yeah. You don't like like owing someone a favor. No, not at all. And I feel like, I don't know, at least for me, whenever I do get that sense, it's almost like repaying it. It doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel not bad. Yeah. Right. Yep. And that's where uh, the one of the criticisms I've heard of the reciprocation rule is that it's not a good tool to use sometimes because even while it works, it doesn't leave like a good taste mm-hmm. in the other person's mouth. Yeah. Where if they feel like they're doing something to get out of an obligation, it, they're not doing it because they want to. Right. And so it won't necessarily make them like you more. Yeah. It'll get them to do what you want, but they might not like you. So it might be it. more like a one time kind of thing so for example like if someone was buying a car maybe it's like if somebody you know how they give like tea and coffee coffee. and all that stuff yeah Yeah. that might work better because you don't you just need them to buy the car once like that's less of a long-term relationship it could be but it's less of a long-term thing because you just buy the car and leave odds are the same salesperson will probably not be there the next time you want to go buy a car and it's a big enough purchase where you know that's probably okay for the yeah, sales or they'll or they'll forget about it by the or time they'll forget about it again but if yeah. it's something where it's like you're gonna be seeing somebody every day maybe this isn't the tactic to use yeah maybe maybe i don't know because i think there's both sides to it too right where like if you overdo it and you really make them feel obligated right then maybe it creates some of that resentment but it's not necessary because i think it can go both ways yeah right because it can also make people feel special yeah it can make you feel special like, but also like if they end up doing something for you in return then that creates a bit of that cognitive dissonance of oh well i did something nice for them yes so i'm like, like the, that. What, is that like the ben franklin uh yeah thing, right yeah i love that rule that's What's, a great trick that's well, kind he, of the opposite it's like you let them do you a favor right right and that then they have to convince themselves of why they 
they did yeah. it, right? Which is, oh, well, I must like them a lot, yep. right? <laughs> Which is a pretty effective technique, I guess. Uh, just get somebody to do something small for you, yep. and then they will like you more, yeah. right? I think he mentions that in the liking rule, actually. So Yeah, I think he does. I think he yeah. So before we move on from this one, there's... um or I mean, I'm, Yeah, I mean, liking is much later. But. Yeah, but uh, one example I really liked on here was the disabled American veterans. Oh, uh, the stamps. Charity one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, I guess I can read it from the, yeah, from the book, but it says the Disabled American Veterans Organization reports that its simple mail appeal for donations produces a response rate of about 18%. But when the mailing also includes an unsolicited gift, gummed individualized address labels, for example, the success rate nearly doubles to 35%. It's pretty significant. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> you can, and it doesn't cost that much. No, I'm to give sure that, it like, costs almost nothing yeah. to include those. So yeah. And yeah. if you're raising donation money, like that's great. Do you think free shipping is in the same bucket here? Or Did no? we talk about this on the show, or was we it? Didn't, well, we talked about it, but in a different context. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I don't remember. Where do you know? It came do you up. think that's reciprocation or no? I don't think it's reciprocation because it's not like they give you free shipping and then expect you to buy like right after. It's like you get that simultaneously. Yeah, but there person. must be maybe that's not this principle, but I'm sure it's some. It's something. Might yeah. Not be, yeah. Well, it could be related to this because he's also got this point here that if somebody makes a concession for us we feel more obliged to make a concession for them. So it could be that if a company is offering free shipping, then we feel more like, oh, I should definitely go ahead and buy something then. Mm. Although I, I guess there's a Maybe that's if there's like an email that comes or like a transactional thing. Yeah. Or like, because I'm thinking like, okay, you go to a website and it says free shipping. That's probably not reciprocation if right. you end up buying. But if they like send you an email like, hey, surprise gift and like open up this email, you open up the email and it's like free shipping for a year or something. Mm. Like even today, I took Lyft to get up here. Well, I have yeah, to they're off coupon. Off. Yeah, but I don't know if that's reciprocation. That could just be a deal. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where it's hard to say, yeah. right? It's like, and that's where I, to be fair, we have to be a little critical of some of this stuff. Yeah, where it's really easy it's to like discreetly. Well, it's easy to say like, oh, that's reciprocation. It's like, well, really? Maybe. I mean, it's yeah. maybe just that Neil wanted to save money, right. right? Like, what is the real factor there? And it's easy to lump everything under these umbrellas. Well, it's probably a combination. It's, yeah, exactly. It's things. like the the Lollapalooza effect. Yeah. from from the Munger episode. I like this. Uh, frightened captive example also from this chapter oh yeah in the trenches yeah maybe you yeah. can read that one so it was uh i think this was during world war ii there was a german guy who was really good at like capturing people from enemy trenches and he would like scramble across no man's land and sneak in and like grab somebody and bring them back to the german side and so i guess he scrambled over and hopped into the trench and then reading from the book the frightened captive with only a piece of bread in his hand then performed what may have been the most important act of his life. He gave his enemy some of the bread. So affected was the German by this gift that he could not complete his mission. He turned from his benefactor and recrossed the no man's land empty handed to face the wrath of his superiors. Right? <laughs> <That's a> good, <laughs> smart, like very aware person. Yeah. Who did that. <laughs> yeah. It's like it just... I feel like that's one of those things where just short circuits someone's brain and yep. they have like no idea. It's like what is now. going on. Right. Yep. I've heard that you can kind of do that with mugging sometimes. I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah. Where if you just completely diverge the conversation into something totally random and just like pretend that it's almost not happening and that something else is going on, you can kind of like short circuit they're like, what they're thinking. Yeah. Yep. And I imagine you could do something like this too. Yeah. Right. Or uh, you've seen the street magicians who can like have you hold their coat and then while you're holding their coat, they like take your watch off. Oh, right? really? Have you seen these? No. It's no, really cool. They just like go with people on the street and start conversations with them and like ask for directions and then they'll be like, oh, here, can you hold this bag and like this coat? And then as they're 
they're doing all of this, they like slip off their watch or they'll like slip their wallet out of their pocket and stuff. And then they'll just like walk off and the person has no idea what's going on. Right. And it's sort of the same thing. It's like you kind of it's a little different. Right. But they're saying yes and getting distracted by this other stuff. You've always got a short circuit of like what's the normal pathway that's going on or the normal conversation flow right is completely it's, yeah it's like what uh cialdini keeps saying in here you got that click were response to certain things yeah where you're just like okay i guess i'm doing this now yep. right like i'm saying hello i'm sharing a sandwich with someone now like okay <laughs> cool right because uh, yeah we can't think about everything that we do and say it just sort of happens just yeah it's just part of it and maybe that's also why if you're like in a foreign country or a place where like the rules are very different you don't have as much of that click were type mm. of response where it's like you know, it's just like there might be different customs. Like when you greet somebody like here, it's like, you know, whether you're shaking their hand or just waving or whatever, it's like it's pretty established social rules that yeah. for us that we feel like we know. But then if we go to another country, it might not be the same way. Right. So, yeah, you wouldn't have that same. So maybe you're more aware when you're in an unfamiliar environment. Probably. You're certainly thinking about it yeah. way more. It's not automatic. Yeah. Right. It's like if you go to South American country, right, and you're coming from America and then people are immediately leaning in for like the kiss yes. or the hug. Yeah. Or in Europe, too. Yeah. Or same in thing. Europe. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But then you get used to it and then you come back here. And then it's weird. Yeah. And then you meet uh, people the, in New York and yes. you hug them and they're like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. I've noticed here, like, we're, I mean, I feel like we're getting better with hugs yeah in america but like we're still a very like personal space yeah exactly straight arm environment yeah Yeah. then you go to austin it's just you know hug Hug central san francisco sf2 is pretty good about it yeah New York, there are communities where it's, yeah. it's like that. New York is a little cold, though. Yeah, yeah, at least relative to these other places. Yeah. Um, there's one other section. Well, there's other parts of this chapter as well that are really interesting. But there's another one that really stood out to me, which is the negotiation one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it made me think of uh, Scott Adams, actually. So I'll read the part of the section and then we'll I'll mention that part. So from the book, the truly gifted negotiator then is one whose initial position is exaggerated enough to allow for a series of reciprocal concessions that will yield a desirable final offer from the opponent, yet is not so outlandish as to be seen as illegitimate from the start. So it's kind of it made me think of um, Scott Adams always points to Donald Trump's negotiating style. Right. And this is pretty much exactly what he's talking about, where he starts from a pretty much ridiculous position probably that's the one difference i was gonna say i feel like, like trump is a little he pushes it even further outer. but yeah. then he, it gives you a lot of room to like scale it back so he was talking about uh well he being scott adams in this case was talking about how trump's immigration position mm-hmm. has like totally softened since the initial parts of the campaign yeah and uh like has gone way left relative to where he started and his supporters have just like continued to go along with it mm-hmm. even though if he had started with where he is right now they'd be like oh he's a fake republican like, yeah you know like it'd be like not it would not have gone over well but because he sort of established himself as like in their camp and then started moving like walking it down you're walking it down exactly so like making concessions each way down yeah. he's like maybe one or two concessions away from actually probably actually having something that both sides could live with yeah you know it's like because from where he started wasn't it like deport everybody yeah it was like deport with? everyone yeah, like, like seal off the borders yep. right the what? wall like all yeah. that stuff and then like now it's like you don't really hear much about the wall he brings it up occasionally he's not talking about deporting everybody anymore at all right that's uh, a lot too. yeah but like if he said this 
his current position back during the campaign, he'd definitely yeah, not. It would have been. He probably wouldn't have even won yeah. the primary. Yeah. So wouldn't have been Republican enough. Yeah. And that's sort of always been the challenge too with winning the primary versus the general election. Yeah. Right. So you've got to be very Republican or very Democratic to win the primary, but then you have to be pretty moderate to win the election. Mm. Right. And so, like, how do you how do you balance balance that? Right. How do you do both? And I don't think anybody does that good a job on right? either side, really, for that. Yeah, that's pretty hard. Hard. Yeah. So I, somebody else was saying something similar on another podcast recently that Trump would be a lot more dangerous if we went off of what he said, not what he did. Right. Right. Exactly. Because yeah. the, the like you said, all those opening arguments are always like so like ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when we actually get to the action side, it's usually quite a bit tamer. Right. It has to be. Sometimes because of other people. Right? That's like, true, too. Yeah. Other people force <laughs> like that. The, yeah. the Pentagon stepping in and being like, yeah. no, <laughs> you can't ban transgender people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, wait, OK, I can't. Right, yeah. That's fine. OK, just kidding. <laughs> um, no, the thing that this also made me think about recently and obviously when this comes out it'll be a month later so or a few weeks later so i'm not sure like how this will play out but made me think about the whole jerusalem thing Mm, about how he named jerusalem the or they recognized jerusalem as the israeli capital and how that was causing like a lot of controversy right but i was thinking about that as i was reading this and i was like now he can ask the israelis to give up anything and they would probably agree it's a good concession yeah it's a really good because he's done them a huge solid yeah right so now if his if his next i mean i'm not saying this is what he, he'll immediately jump to he's probably a little more maybe he's not but maybe he's a little more tactful than this is like if his next step was like okay well israel we gave you jerusalem but now you need to like recognize palestine mm. like i'm not saying it'd be like that immediate like it would be like just a you know one for one kind of thing it might right. be a, a series of steps to get there but like I could see them now having that sense of obligation to Donald Trump because yeah, he's, he's built that goodwill. He's built that well, the goodwill, and they owe him one now, right? Because he's done them a huge solid. Yeah, so he's got that reciprocity. Yeah, so I was, coming in. as I was reading this, I was like, hmm, it's actually it might have been a really good move on his part. Yeah, because yeah, like this might be the only way to actually get to that two-state solution or some solution. Something that all, yeah, yeah, for both sides. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Like, I mean, that would be amazing if that worked. Yeah, right? and I don't, I don't know <laughs> if that's his plan, right? But I'm just, so. That's the hard thing, right? Yeah. It's like, how much intelligence should we read into him? Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it also depends, like, who you're listening to. Like, if you listen to Sam Harris, yeah. it's like, there's none there whatsoever. Right. And he's just a madman who's like, this who occasionally barely... has things work out. Yes, he's yeah. like a deranged, like, insane, like somebody who's escaped from an insane asylum. And then somehow if, managed, somehow the, managed yeah. to wear his pants, like, correctly. <laughs> And then you have the other side, which is like Scott Adams, who basically attributes every smart thing that has like ever happened to yeah. Donald Trump. He attributes every good thing yes, that has exactly. ever happened to Donald Trump it to his like all the bad stuff. extreme <laughs> intelligence, and master negotiation, exactly. four dimensional chess. Exactly. Right? So from like Scott Adams' standpoint, Donald Trump's like one of the most intelligent human beings on the planet. Like, yeah. and just has the IQ of like Einstein. And if yeah, anybody the truth probably in the middle. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's listening who hasn't listened to the Sam Harris and Scott Adams debate, that is a definitely a must listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Sam Harris's podcast, Waking Up. It's a great episode. But I think we should probably wrap up reciprocation with Cialdini's recommendation for how to challenge it. And this is pretty useful is just to define anything you get from somebody who is in a salesy position as a sales device, not as a gift. Right. So whenever somebody is trying to sell you something or in that situation, they give you anything. Think of it as like, oh, this is something they are using to build goodwill. Don't think of it as a gift that should make you like them more. I mean, even 
like you were saying, like publishers send you books sometimes, right? Because yeah. you have a nice following. This is that's their way of hoping that you will write about. It's weirdly effective too. Yeah. I mean, I got a book that's just like not a good book at all. But I was like, oh, maybe we should do an episode on this, right? They sent it to me, and then it took a few days to be like, wait, no, this <laughs> it's, it's not a good idea. But yeah, it works. It does work. It's, yeah, yeah. And especially like the brain hacks that people have found over the years. Right, right. Yeah. And then they feel like guilty, like oh wow, but they like went through the effort of giving me this thing and I should hook them up right yep. I, I think we a lot of people and probably more so with how old you are too, get that from email and phone calls as well right where there's this weird tendency i think most people have that if they get an email they feel like they have to respond to it and that's sort of a reciprocation thing too right mm-hmm. it's like oh this person took the effort to write me an email that's a good point. right like i have to respond and it's like well no you don't right nobody's nobody's like entitled to your time yeah either by phone that or email true. that's a really good point point. and so the, the but way, you can use it in your favor that's why cold emails work exactly yeah a lot it's of like cases. Cold emails, <laughs> they feel like they have to respond especially if you put some effort into the email yes, you give them exactly. something in the email right like well then it's also just smart to respond because like if somebody's smart enough to put effort into their cold email it's like yeah. there are surprisingly few people that do that yeah so it's like you probably want to know that person <laughs> yeah well, yeah dude i i've been because i've been hiring for growth machine right so you probably have tons of like inbound i get all these cold emails that are like dear hiring manager my name is and it's to my nat at your growth email it's like you couldn't even realize that this is a personal email that my name is literally in the address right it's like don't cold email like that that's the that's the wrong way to that's the way yeah, to not get a response. That's the way to not get a response, yeah. right? Those ones are really easy to archive, but... Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I saw somebody post on LinkedIn this week about that. And it's similar to your position, like a smaller company like has, uh, they're hiring and they were getting like a bunch of inbound. Yeah. And he was basically ranting about that, was saying that basically like people just don't even like look up what the company does or what it is or the size of it or, you know, like anything about the company whatsoever. That it's literally, you can just tell it's copy and pasted for every job they're applying to. And it's like, that approach is not the way to get a response. No, not at all. That's not, it's well, not work. <laughs> it was funny for us too, because people would do that. And there's like no information on our website. Okay. There's three pages on our site. But your name is in the email. Well, no, no, no. So but what I was going to say name, is right? people would have stuff in their templated email about how, oh, I really admire your company's vision. <laughs> And, you know, it looks like a really fun team to be a part of and all of this stuff. And I'm just thinking, where are you getting this information from? <laughs> They're listeners right? of the podcast. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but <laughs> you no, know what would be hilarious is if you turned all those people into like listeners. of. It's like, this was a horrible cold email, but you should go listen to the influence episode. Yeah, to, to write a better one. To write a better one. And then you can come back to me, maybe. Well, I'm going to publish an article <laughs> like how to get hired for a marketing role, yeah, I think, because I've got so much material now. Not you're going to. You would have by the time this episode comes oh, out. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No. Commit device. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll write it down later so we don't forget. <laughs> Make sure we can link to it. We can link to it in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so if you want to fight reciprocity, define it as a sales device, not a gift, yeah. right? And don't feel like you have to give somebody something just because they put effort into giving you something. Yeah. You can, but you don't have to. But make sure you know that's what's happening. Yeah, that you know that's what's happening, right? Which brings us to the next one. Commitment and consistency. Uh, and this one, we it comes into a lot of the other biases in Here 6 we talk about a lot. It's yeah. kind of like confirmation bias. It's cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It's a lot of things. And those are almost the building blocks for these that he's calling out, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, cognitive dissonance is a big one for this big one. Big one, yeah. Because yeah. one of the, the example he gives right at the beginning is that people who are betting on horses, right after Ooh. they place a bet, yeah. they are way more confident of their horse's chance of winning than before they <laughs> put down the bet, right? And <laughs> Okay, do you feel like this is not even a tangent, so I'm not even going to call it a tangent. Yeah. Um, 
People definitely do this with crypto. Oh, that, that's definitely. exactly right. Yes. <laughs> it's like if they totally have not, and I've definitely done this too. It's like if you haven't put any money in, yeah. you know, like I'm not saying you look at it objectively, but you maybe look at it with less rose colored glasses. But like yeah. once you have money in, it's like, this is how the always dollar is up. done. This is always going <laughs> up. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, if, uh, if anybody is not on our email list and didn't get the bonus material for this episode, <laughs> we actually talked about this a lot before we started recording. Because yep. as we're looking at it, we've got Bitcoin at 17,700, Ethereum at 688, and Litecoin at 308. Well, when and this episode comes out, people might be like, that's it? That's it? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will either be like way above that or like way below it. We've said this before. It's like it only goes in extremes, like power laws, right? There's no Seems like it, nice, yeah. stable. I remember when Ethereum was at 300 for like a month. Yeah. People were complaining that yeah. there was no volatility. That's what my dad said, too. He was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, if it's not really going to move, maybe it's like the stock market's a better place to put your money in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just luckily, he didn't there. sell. He held on to it. So uh, that was good. But yeah, he yeah, was just no. like, it's not moving. <laughs> I, I definitely had way more confidence in all of these things once I put money into them. (laughs) And it's yeah, I mean, I I think that's sort of the secret is to just like know that we do that. So you know what's interesting is I've heard people say this, not invoking this rule, Mm -hmm. but I've heard people say like when you take somebody's money for your company from an investment standpoint, it makes them push you really, really hard. And part of that you could say is incentives. Like now they have a stake in the company. But like to some things, it's like the numbers don't even make any sense. So the example I'll give is like a lot of celebrities when they put money into companies, Mm -hmm. it's like 10 to 25K. Like it's not, it's not much money and they don't get better terms. Usually it's just like they're part of an existing round. Like let's say someone's raising a million and a VC firm puts 750. So there's like 250 left and they get 10 celebrities to put the 25. It's the exact same terms as the VC firm got, but they will start like tweeting about it, talking about on Instagram, mentioning in interviews. And it's like, if somebody paid you to do these mentions, you would charge way more than 25K or whatever. In this case, you put your own money into the company. Yeah. Now you're doing it. And let's say, you know, let's say it 10X or something, right? That's great. That's awesome. But at some level, it's just like they feel so confident now in this thing because they put money in it, right? Yeah. It's like, it's almost like that is what made them confident in this product being so product or service being like the next big thing. Well, I, I have friends who have raised money just because of that. Yeah. Where totally. they didn't really need to raise money, but they did it just to get influencers in their space invested in their company yeah. because they knew that once the people had put money in, they would start pimping the company out, right? Well, there's this bias, right? Not a bias, cognitive dissonance if you yeah, don't do that. Exactly. Right? It's like, oh, you know, do you not believe in the company? Like, we can give you your money back <laughs> yeah. if you don't think this is going to work. Like, yeah. that's fine, right? That's like, well, I put my money in, so I must believe so it. I must believe in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're going to get those emails every month with the investor ups and be like, oh, yeah, this is a good call. I should <laughs> keep, you know, promoting this, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we do that too. Like, I, I I'm sure, sure we do that. I drink a lot more mushroom coffee now. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. It's great that we get 20% off with the, with the code Maybe thing. this is true for like the keto and like vegan also. Like, you know, people are like CrossFit. Like people always yeah. say for all these things, they're like, once someone starts doing that, that's like all they'll push. But exactly. like, that's probably part of it because it's a lot of effort to do one, any of those things. So you've invested this effort and you're obviously not a dumb person. So if you did this effort, it must be worth it. it must be worth which it. means yeah. everyone else should also be doing it. So you should go talk about it all yeah, exactly. the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> What is that uh, thing that people say? It's like somebody who does CrossFit is paleo yeah, and we, went to Harvard, right? Like, if, you're, <laughs> if you're a CrossFit vegan Harvard grad, yeah. which do you talk about first? CrossFit vegan is hard to find. It's like yeah, much more like pretty CrossFit rare. paleo overlap, I think. Exactly. Right? Yeah, like, CrossFit paleo is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm I feel sure like paleo cross- has gone mainstream enough where yeah. it's not as... Like four or five years ago, somebody saying like, don't eat any grain and like, just eat this is, whoa, that's weird. A little 
bit. Now it's sort of like, okay, yeah, you definitely think like, Yeah, we've all heard it. It's that. like, we know, we know. Yeah. Like, people who are, anybody listening to this podcast. Has heard that. Yeah, before. definitely knows yeah. that. But yeah, so now you got to go, you got to go another level. You got to go keto, yeah. right? Like paleo is not hardcore enough, right? Now you got to. Or vegetarian is not hardcore. People got to Yeah, go you got to go vegan, yeah. right? And so like, nobody will be meaner to, vegans will be meaner to like vegetarians than they will to meat eaters, <laughs> really? right? Well, no, I, I, I'm, I'm imagining this, yeah. right? Because like, oh, like you couldn't go all the way. You have to wimp out of being vegetarian. You still got to eat keto? eggs, man. Do people with keto do that for paleo? Probably. Like, would you I, be I, like, I, you I, eat sweet potatoes? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That's still as fun. But they would call you out for eating dairy, probably. Yeah, probably. Right? So you'd be like, yeah, I like butter. And they'd be like, what? What? Butter? (laughs) You think we were milking cows 10,000 years ago, man? Uh, now we've now that we've things. insulted everybody. Yeah, I know. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so if we haven't uh, insulted you, please leave us a comment on Twitter, and we'll make sure, sure to, get to get you on the next, next one. Yeah. <laughs> I think jujitsu is the one thing we didn't. Jujitsu people it's also true. talk a lot about jujitsu. I don't want to insult jujitsu. I don't either. I'm if not I, if all I'm insult, say about it. If I insult a vegan <laughs> person, what are they going to do? Like very lightly graze their palm. The might hit you with a club, though. Yeah, it's true. People might hit you with a club. Yeah, CrossFit people like drop a barbell on us. Uh, anyway, back uh, to the book. That was a yes, tangent. That sure. was that was great. <laughs> we have an upcoming episode that's all tangents, so look out. It's for true, that. yeah. Look out for the next episode. <laughs> it's going to be great. A little holiday recap bonus. We're going to go through a bunch of the books. So it should be fun. <laughs> Maybe we'll actually drink for that episode. Oh, even though we're recording in the morning, I think so. Eggnog, eggnog. No. <laughs> Is that allowed in keto? Uh, no, but I could do like drink tequila. heavy cream and brandy. We could drink, <laughs> <laughs> we drink tequila, straight tequila, straight at tequila. In the morning, dude. Tequila sodas. That's the go-to drink. You saw. You saw my tweets about Actually, that, right? Put like some type of alcohol into mushroom coffee. Yeah, we should ask them. That would be good. Actually, let's see coffee. If we could just get like this is uh, too, whatever. Yeah, going. we could do like an Irish coffee with whiskey and some whipped cream and Irish <laughs> coffee. It'd probably be pretty good. I'm down. Yeah, we should try that. Four Sigmatic is learning new uses of their product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to we'll have to text them after yeah. and let them know how it goes. If we could be like, we're, they're gonna be like, the we're not sponsoring like, you guys <laughs> <laughs> Everything's misspelled. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just screaming by the end of the episode. Okay, back to it. <laughs> but yeah, to the consistency and commitment concept, he's got so many good examples in this chapter. And I do think the earlier chapters in this book are a little stronger yeah. in the number of examples. Yep. I felt like the first three or four had way more packed in. Uh, he's got this really funny one about transcendental meditation, mm. where he and his partner went to a TM seminar and then Cialdini's partner stood up and explained everything that the presenter was just like wrong about or logically inconsistent about. And it sounds like the guy was being kind of a dick, right? But, you know, broke down all the TM arguments. The presenter basically said, hmm, yeah, like those are really good points. We're gonna have to go think about that. And then tons of people in the audience signed up anyway and put all their money down. And then uh, Cialdini and his partner asked people in the audience afterwards, like, why did you put your money down? And they said, and this is from the book, when your buddy started talking, I knew I'd better give them my money now or I would go home and start thinking about what he said and never sign up. Have right? you ever have you ever seen the money boiler uh, money the movie Boiler Room? No. Okay, good movie. Definitely go watch it. Okay. It has a ridiculous cast of people before they got famous. Nice. You've you seen The Godfather, right? Okay, so Sonny Corleone, the actor who plays that, his son is actually in this movie, and he looks almost exactly like him. Yeah. Vin Diesel is a stockbroker in this movie. <laughs> um, there's a bunch of other people I'm blanking on. Anyway, there's a scene in that movie which is very similar to this, what he just described. I bet they might have even lifted it out of the book. The guy's on the phone pitching a stock to somebody, trying to get him to buy so the guy's like hedging, like, oh, I got to ask my wife. Like he was at the office at the time. So he brings up, he's like, he's like, well, if you go home and ask your wife, she's going to just put doubt into your head, right? 
And he's like, and then you're going to regret this six months later when the stock has gone up and all your friends have made money, but you haven't. And then he's like, yeah, okay, I better buy now. Let's do it. <laughs> and like, It's kind of this exact same principle. It's like, it's literally what you just said, but yeah. just from a stock example. It's a good scene from that Wolf of Wall Street too. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like one of their typical <laughs> techniques they're using on yep. the people they're calling. Uh, Cialdini. Yeah, I know. Stuff a lot of people's lives. <laughs> no. But it, it, it's weirdly effective, right? Yeah. You don't want to get talked out of things. I think we all fall into this. I mean, because I've been doing all of this keto research for this sort of like massive experiment article I've been doing, and it takes a concentrated effort to not dismiss critical articles and critical research, right? I was going to ask you about that. Like, it's really hard, right? Because I notice myself doing it. As soon as I read an article about something bad about keto, I'm like, oh, I'm going to wrong, yeah. right? Like, I'm going to find, like, where the experimental <laughs> methods were messed up or, like, what they did wrong in their design, right? But if I'm reading something on PubMed, or you're like, or, like, questioning the source. You're like, what is yeah. the site anyway? Who but you'll, funded these but guys? You'll, but you'll, like, follow an article that's like, ketoisawesome.com. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> but, like, yeah, this one, you'll be like, who is what's this organization it's probably a yeah, exactly world health organization <laughs> bullshit <laughs> why is the world so overweight then yeah. world health organization uh, <laughs> that's a legitimate question it is a legitimate but, question yeah. <laughs> no but i know what you mean it's like yeah, I, it's hard i was gonna ask you like even uh well you just answered it but like it's hard to look up the counter example to something you're already considered doing yeah. and most of the time you're just looking for reasons to validate why like the decision you've already made oh yeah which is very it's, interesting yeah that's always <laughs> what we're looking for is like okay well i feel pretty sure about this so let me look up a few more reasons I should be sure about it. Well, and I give this advice to companies trying to sell to big, like startups trying to sell to big companies Mm -hmm. all the time. This exact kind of advice is like, you want to make it so that like, the company that you're selling to is looking for like a like just validation for why they should work with you instead of like you don't want to give them anything that's like going to be out of line with what they already think about you so if they think like oh you're an ai company that does like that obviously like you know ai is a very broad right. definition especially in how startups use the the term ai but like if you correct them out of that like if you're like no 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 actually this is just a you know it's a machine learning tool like we don't call ourselves like that's a good way to talk yourself out of the deal cuz they're looking to check off that box of like exactly. hey we worked with an ai company so you want to basically keep essentially using what they're already like if they're talking to you they're already interested in working with you you kind of just have to give them all the reasons not to talk themselves out of it Um, and then just the money part is the second part of it but like in terms of wanting to work with you or not if they're in like the process with you, they are interested enough that they're using their time yeah. to work, you know, to talk to you. Yeah. That's so, a good point. yeah. So it's like half of sales is like just not messing up. Exactly. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, it's in Hitch too. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah. The movie Hitch, movie. that line <laughs> in the beginning where, very beginning, where Will Smith's giving like the basic rules. No. And he's like, she is already out with you. That means she said yes when she could have said no. Mm. And he's like, so that means you have one job tonight, not to mess this up. And everyone's mm. like, what? Because <laughs> like, they, everyone thinks they have to go impress somebody right. on the first date but it's like they already said yes to you so you've already impressed them you've already got the foot in the door yeah, yeah. <laughs> just don't fuck it up just don't fuck it up <laughs> uh well and i love this example of the toy stores Oh yeah, that was that's <laughs> a great example. So I don't, I wonder if they still do this because this is so sly. But basically, they the toy stores would run commercials for these really nice toys and get kids all hyped up before Christmas, and then undersupply stores, right? But they would get the parents to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, you'll get the toy for Christmas, whatever. They can't find it in the stores during Christmas, so they buy other toys for the kids, yeah. and then they run the ads for the toys again after Christmas. And the kids are like, well, you promised that you'd get me the toy, and then the parents have to go buy the toy, and so they end so up they buying twice as much yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that is brilliant, right? I, it's it's shady as hell. It's so shady. <laughs> it's, it's bad, but hey, that would work really well. 
And then it also just works in these sly, really small ways, right? Where he said that uh, they were doing like tests with sales calls and just asking, how are you feeling at the beginning? Basically doubled their conversion rate. Right. Which yeah. is crazy, yeah. right? Simply asking someone like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Went from 15% compliance to 33%. It is nuts, yeah. right? Like, and sometimes when I see those results, I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, like, I'm a little okay, skeptical. Well, right? like, what's really going on there? It wasn't seems there something we were stupid. reading recently that had a similar? Uh, maybe it was the Munger. Munger thing. referenced some of these. Some of these types exact of examples. same stories. Right. Talk. I think we mentioned a couple of them. Yeah, I think there was too. one we brought up in that one where it was like, and that this is not about this one. It's more like anchoring the idea of anchoring. Remember oh, we yeah, talked yeah. about that from the pricing standpoint, right? So it's like, and it's not just pricing, but it's like even a request you make. Like you start with the, you know, let's say you're asking someone for their time. It's like, would you donate like a week of your time every month yeah. to like this thing? Exactly. Would you? Yeah. Would what you about thirty minutes a, right now? Oh yeah, the spend, spend a weekend yes. taking uh, a sick child, troubled kids, troubled to the kid. zoo, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or no, it was. Would you spend like a weekend every month mentoring like a underprivileged kid? Yeah. Then it's like, okay, well, would you spend two hours taking them to the zoo? Acceptance rate. Yeah. So the two hours thing is like two hours thing was much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the foot in the door technique kind of. Actually, no, it's, 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 uh, that's a different one. That's That's, a different one. I think it comes in later. Yeah. Yeah. Foot in the door is the one right now, which is where you get a yes. Yeah. You get a small yes to leverage it up to a bigger yes. You see that in a lot of, uh, actually the finance is really good at this stuff for sales in general, but just, they always will get you to say yes. It's like, they'll be like, well, you're trying to grow your business, right? Or you're trying to like, like, you know, whatever, like obvious yes questions they can get you to say yes to. And that's the foot in the door technique. That's what I do in some of my sales follow-up emails (laughs) is the, like, if I reach out to somebody who comes into funnel and they don't respond, I'll follow up and say something like, did you still want to get more SEO traffic? Yeah. Right. Because it's like a very easy thing to say yes to. Like, Right. Yeah, so you're using these for evil too. No, dude, I'm That's helping kidding. people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're helping them make the right decision for themselves. Exactly. You're like a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a doctor. <laughs> well, the, the other example here that I always think of is email pop-ups, right? Because email pop-ups are kind of a foot in the door, right? Where it's a really simple ask of just like, hey, put in your email address, right? And people do that, but then they've already committed to something small, right? And then people talk a lot about using Tripwire products in sort of the internet businessy space. Where so you just, what's the Tripwire product? Uh, it's basically like a very inexpensive product that you sell somebody early on in their email funnel journey just to get them used to saying yes and giving you money. So you sell them something small before you sell them on the bigger product down the road. So even if it's like... Exactly. It's like if you're building up to launching a $500 course with them, you sell them something small and really high quality and getting them hooked on actually pulling out their card. And then there's also this thing of like, well, I've paid this person money in the past. It's really a really good experience. experience. Yeah, exactly. You get that liking and it's again. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Later. Uh, And then there's also this element of effort, right? Where he he goes a little bit from the verbal commitments to like the physical commitments, right? Where when we commit to something through effort and through energy, we become more, I guess, obliged to it, right? We feel like we like it more or that it's better or good, right? And he he uses the example of fraternity hazing, right? Which is sort of the traditional one that we always think of, which is like people who go through those processes love the organization because they have to. Right. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, your brain won't let you do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very closely related, I think, to the sunk cost fallacy too, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, you've already put this much time and effort and, you know, potentially money or whatever into it. Of course, you have to keep going. Yeah. Right? Why like, would you, why would now, you stop? Right? Now, you've already yeah. invested all of this. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he basically just says that the more effort that goes into a commitment, the greater ability it'll have to influence the attitudes of anyone yeah. who makes that level of 
I like how he ends the chapter also of this one. Oh, about telling says, them what they're doing? Yeah, so yeah. he said, this is straight from the book. He said, I've discovered a way to handle people who try to use the consistency principle on me. I just tell them exactly what they are doing. Yeah. yeah it's great. <laughs> have you ever done that before? Because I No, I haven't. And but I, we have to apologize for the sirens in the background. We're, we are in New York. Yeah, <laughs> things happen. Uh, but no, have you done that where you call out somebody using these techniques? I haven't. No, I haven't actually called anybody out on it. I do it particularly frequently on people uh, calling me from Carnegie to oh. Raise yeah, money. You actually, pick up the phone with these. People. Yeah, I see four one two, and I usually just like I'm like I know it's CMU. Mm-hmm. Just not gonna answer. See, but. I I just do it for fun now <laughs> it's because fun. and it's like I tell them a teaching them. Yeah, well, it's like as soon as they start saying stuff, I'm like, look, you're just using like this strategy on me, right? And it's not gonna work, right? And then they start doing something else. And I'm like, now you're using this one, and <laughs> it's just a fun game. And eventually, you're teaching them more than they're probably learning in their classes. Well, and I think <laughs> they're not allowed to hang up on me. Oh, really? Yeah, because they just kind of like keep going and they do this like awkward laughter thing, and like they're not entirely sure what to do and so <laughs> i'm just like just goofing off and messing with them and i get the sense that they're told that they like can't they up. can't end the conversation right so probably unless you like become really rude or right which you're not doing right? you're just like doing you're so, just calling them out I, yeah when you get the chance next time your college calls you to solicit funds just <laughs> do this be like oh well i listened to this podcast episode and right now you're using like the liking tendency where you're asking me about my memories you tell them about the podcast too yeah i should i should be like actually you got this great episode so you should yeah. listen to it. <laughs> Book you should read. But yeah, this is, this is a good strategy, right? If somebody is using the commitment consistency on you or or anyone, right? The example he gives, I think is funny, is the like really attractive woman showing up at his yeah. door asking him about his like habits. Like how often does he go to the theater and the cinema? And does he consider himself a socialite and all of this stuff? Yeah. And he's like trying to impress her. So he's talking himself up like, oh yeah, I love the ballet. <laughs> I go to all these shows. And at the end of it, she's like, oh, well, because you're you know such a socialite this would be the perfect package for you for our like ticket plan right and then he's like ah shit right yeah. <laughs> it's like well i can't just say that i lied and that none of this stuff is necessary <laughs> so i guess i'm gonna buy this thing now right that's like checkmate right oh, yeah, like, exactly. yeah, fuck. <laughs> what have i done <laughs> and, and that's like him like he knows all these techniques that he's written about yep. you would think but like the layperson or any of any of us probably would not even see that coming until like the very end. Yeah. So I mean, neither did he, I guess. It's hooked like. all the time. Yeah. I mean, this is why I always tell salespeople who want to get on the phone. I'm like, look, just send me everything you have. Like, yeah. we don't need to get on the phone unless I have a question for you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. It's because like, it's yeah. like, I know once I get on the phone, people are good at this <laughs> and they're going to be very convincing. So, yeah. So you almost don't let yourself get in that situation. Yeah. Exactly. You can retain a little bit more objectivity if you can not. I hope most people don't adopt that because i'm selling harder (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well that's why cold calls work too right that's true you catch them off guard (laughs) yeah well people pick up the phone right uh, going back to the email thing right if i don't have a call scheduled and it's not from like a friend or family member like i don't get up yeah usually i don't pick it up either yeah so why would you right but weirdly uh i have found like lately i think email effectiveness is just going like into the toilet yeah because people just get so many cold emails all the time yeah Uh, especially people who are like decision makers or like business people but i actually think cold calls are like probably more effective than they were 20 years ago because people just don't get them as much yeah anymore, true it's right more, it's more noticeable it's more noticeable and like especially with companies that still have office numbers where you're not calling their cell phone people yeah. do pick up their office most right. of the time so it's like i think it used to be like if okay you get cold called all day you, you're probably only going to pick up the officers that you can see on the caller id and stuff yeah. or there's a secretary really screening really carefully who you know for salespeople basically right. but i found a lot of times now it's like even if you do like cold call somebody 
Uh, my friend Joe Bennon actually does this a decent amount, not for selling, but like he's instead of cold emailing, which he also does sometimes, he just straight up cold calls people. So the guy who's the current governor of Missouri, he has a really interesting book called uh, The Heart and Fist and for blanking on his name, Greitens' his last name, okay. blanking on his first name. Anyway, when he was, before he was governor, he ran this like some like charity and my friend Joe does a lot of charity work and he runs something called Good Street. So they were looking at featuring this guy's charity and he just like straight up cold called him. And this guy was like on the time 100, like this guy had been like, he's like a pretty famous person. Yeah. And he answered his phone, his office phone, because <laughs> they have an office number for the charity yeah. and he just picked it up. And my friend had like a 30 minute conversation with him. That's great. Because like you just don't get cold called, like, yeah. especially in office phones that much. Yeah, it's and it's a charity, so probably don't get sold that much stuff. So it's just like, there's not much screening going on. Right. I'm sure if you cold called him now as a gover- as like the governor, it'd probably be a lot harder. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but then he like stayed in touch with him and all this stuff off of cold call. I was like, try that sometime. Yeah. Cold called like Ray Dalio. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said uh, when you worked at Mom Trust, you found out that faxes were like really no, effective, that, right? that industry was really weird, though. Okay. I would not suggest that for other industries. Yeah. Uh, that industry was like for... Eh, maybe there are industries. There probably are other industries, but of all the ones I've worked in, that's the only one where I would recommend something like that. But it was like, it was pretty effective. Yeah. It was like faxing over like an info sheet basically of what huh. we do. And then like we had a like a discount thing on there and you could track how many people were actually going to the site off of it and fairly yeah and the cost of delivering it was like nothing basically it's so funny that was that used to be a normal thing faxing and now the idea that you could just send me a piece of paper that would appear on my desk seems so wild yeah like that actually seems futuristic it's like like teleportation right yeah well it's like that idea is just like holy shit like a physical thing that appears just like over the air dude that actually seems wild what is that company that um you they have a i'll find this because i have a friend who works for the company that now owns them uh but it's i know what they do it's basically a website you go on there you fill it out and it sends somebody like a handwritten note oh uh bond i think it's bond but they got bought by a big company okay uh so they exited but like i actually think stuff like that is super effective now because people just don't get handwritten notes product hunt back in the day sent me a handwritten note at one point which they were doing for like anybody who'd posted something as a maker yeah i found it to be so awesome there's like no company's ever done this yeah that's like Uh, it's not junk mail it's like literally thank you note with some stickers to put on your laptop Buffer did that for me once too. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like such a nice thing. Yeah, and it's so cheap for them to do that. It's like a couple bucks probably to do it. Like the stamp and like whatever it costs to print the card and the the, um, stickers. Yeah, the automated writing thing looks very real. Yeah. You like pick a handwriting style and it looks like a real person wrote right. it. I got really good machines doing it. It's yeah. Cool. So it's just like pretty cool thing and pretty low uh, cost. Your sort of ROI could be pretty yeah, good on something like that. Well, that's, that's the thing that I found too is like there's usually better options than just sending people money, right? It's like uh, for growth machine, uh, I like to do Airbnb gift cards yeah, for referrals yep. because it's like if it's a trip, it's a, like an adventure and then you like remember them yeah. during it. If you just get like a cash referral bonus, the same. Yep. It's not like that emotion tied to it. Right. Right. Or uh one of the companies when I started working with them, they sent me this like box of artisanal cookies, ah, right, smart. with a little handwritten note in it. I was like, oh wow, that's so nice. But that's not keto. Not keto. Who did you give it to? Yeah. Uh, well, no, this was like two. Years <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Back, back in the old days, when I was foolish. So we'll eat carbohydrates. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fat ratio was below 65 <laughs> percent i was just messing with you <laughs> what if you were like uh i actually ate those so. <laughs> don't tell the keto <laughs> yeah. they'll take away our sponsorship money <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that is a good like thank you gift yeah it's just it's great really yeah. easy one and easy one yeah yeah we had one customer in uh new york early on with unlimited brewing that 
actually, I got to start pushing more. I've completely, until we're bringing this up, completely forgot that we even did that with somebody. They wanted just like 10 cases of beer that were custom labeled to give them to their best clients. Or they said Uh their best clients, but it was whoever their clients were in New York, I think. And they just like gave it on a random Friday. They just like dropped it off. Nice. And so there's not, you know, like we shipped it all to their office and then they figured out how to get it to each of the companies. But it's such a nice like Friday afternoon thank you to your client. Like what client's not going to be like, oh, this is awesome. We get a case of cold beer. And then they're associating that now with you. It's a great like thank you gift. So the person who hired you got it branded for them? For them. Okay. Yeah. So it'd be like if I got a growth in beer and it's all my clients. Yeah. But it was like, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. So then, yeah, as a like as a whether it's like a thank you or for whatever. But it's like, yeah, it's a really easy like gift doesn't cost that much because like beer through us is like the same as buying retail. Basically, It's two fifty a beer and uh, it's like a cheap gift. Yeah, Yeah, that's a cool idea. The hard thing is like the, you know, quantities and stuff and where it's going. So for them, luckily, most of their clients were in New York. So it was easy. Yeah. Yeah. But if it was like, oh, we need 10 here, 10 in California, 10 in Florida, 10 in that would be like a little more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Someday beer shipping laws will be catching up the wine yeah i don't know split off this is a total tangent but the yeah, wine lobby worked so much harder i think on that stuff yeah well and also like how in certain states the s- stores can't sell wine and sell beer yeah right or, that seems so strange to yep. me right yeah they're split off in some way yeah it's like wine and liquor and then there's beer so that's in pittsburgh or in pennsylvania yeah. yeah but in maryland there are grocery stores that do beer and wine yeah but they but can't not do liquor. liquor yeah that has to be sold in like the abc stores yeah. right yeah it's so weird it's just system yeah it's so and it's so um fragment like every yeah. county can do it differently and like pittsburgh and philly do it differently they have different rules oh they have different rules from the rest of pennsylvania well there's municipal rules so it could just be your, your city has a different rule than the state know. so like just like there's dry counties in some oh yeah that's right some uh states so like the state is allowed like you're i think it's like What's a state that definitely has dry counties? Like Kentucky, I think, definitely has a couple. Sure, Utah does. Utah, I'm sure, has some. But it's like legal in the state, but that county might not allow it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Philly, it's either Philly or Boston. One of the two cities does not have happy hour. Really? Yeah. By law. (laughs) You know what? I think it's Boston. Okay. I've heard that. Yeah. I heard that from somebody who lives in Boston. And they don't do bottomless drinks either. Really? Because I think there's no bottomless mimosas or anything like that. Not no happy law. Oh, yeah. Boston's war on happy hour needs to end. Why is happy hour still illegal in Massachusetts? Isn't that? That's wild. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. So, but yeah. It must just be like some of the really originally Catholic states or or something. Puritan. Yeah. Yeah. Lame. Anyway, uh, that tangent aside. <laughs> so uh, Someday it'll be as easy to buy alcohol as it is to buy marijuana. No, yeah. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, well dude, marijuana Canada. is becoming really easy to buy like in some states. All right, back to the book. On to social proof. Yes. So this is the next weapon of influence that he discusses. Uh, and we've talked about social proof, I think, a lot on this show uh, in past episodes, too. And uh, it, so have other people. And so have other social people. proof for the concept. Exactly. Proof. I mean, it's it's weird like it's a very popular topic and i feel like everyone has some passing familiarity with it but it probably wasn't talked about a ton in that term before books like this came out i mean if you go way back like there's stuff in seneca and epictetus and a lot of those like really old writers that talk about social proof yeah. right so it's not a new concept by any stretch of the imagination but there's so many you know examples that we have now like he starts with canned laughter oh, which yeah. is, is such a it's a great example because nobody likes canned laughter yeah. everyone hates it 
But you will laugh more yes. if there is canned laughter. It works despite the fact that we hate it. Laugh when we're laughing in the podcast. That's a good question. I've gotten that text a few times from some listeners. Yeah, like uh, Adil said, there was one. I think he texted both of us where he like was in the gym and then just like almost <laughs> dropped his weight laughing. I forget what yeah. we were talking about, but <laughs> something we did was funny. I guess uh, maybe inadvertently or maybe it was on purpose. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I wonder if when we laugh, it makes people more likely to laugh. Maybe let let us know on Social Twitter. Proof. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do does our laughter uh can laugh make is you a really laugh. interesting one though and it's kind of like um one that i thought of too when i was rereading this is mm-hmm. the app that justin owns the shopify one uh fomo fomo yeah, yeah. Right. oh yeah that's that, literally that's, this that that's is that is a social proof app <laughs> yeah. that is like yeah but it works like and that's oh, such so a, effective yeah dude their their conversion boost like they can just drop that on a shopify store and they'll sell like 30 to 30 more stuff wow it's wild like we should definitely buy a shopify store <laughs> dude i'm just telling install you FOMO. <laughs> well yeah it's like uh, that's our entire growth strategy <laughs> it's like we'll just install fobo and, and let it go we just redirect it all to made you think <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah they like that stuff works it's just like a little pop-up that says hey you know this per like you know if i'm shopping on it a little thing comes up in the bottom left that says hey neil just bought this mushroom coffee from four sigmatic using coupon code think you should buy some too and then i'm like i see that notification i'm like ooh, that does look good and then you know like i click on it and then i go buy some and like that's really powerful notice some other companies doing this too uh today i was buying a gift for someone on uh this is another tangent slight slight tangent it's related there's only gonna be a one sentence tangent okay um i was buying a um like a, a baltimore ravens wallet for my nephew okay. who's uh, he's a ravens fan so it was just a little gift i was gonna get him and i was looking at amazon the only reason i left amazon was because all the sellers mm-hmm. the ship date they were like may arrive after christmas and i'm like mm. fuck even though it was prime yeah right but it, it was still like for whatever reason not showing up so i was like i wonder if like nfl.com has something like this so i go there yeah they have it it's two-day shipping and also it's ten dollars versus twenty dollars like amazon's was 20 yeah theirs was 10 but I would never have checked NFL.com if like they were shipping in two days. Like I would just bought it on Amazon. Yeah. Never known that I paid double. <laughs> You're paying double. Yeah. Well, uh, so somebody literally could just buy on NFL.com and just resell yeah. on Amazon and like probably don't like there probably are so many arbitrage opportunities like that. There's but a lot the, of people who do that. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I mean, and so the, the reason I brought that up though is NFL.com, which I had never gone to their shop page mm-hmm. is doing something like FOMO. Oh, do they have? It's not a pop up. Okay. It doesn't tell you the person's name, mm-hmm. but it tells you that like somebody bought this in and I'll tell you the city well you can do that with fomo too you don't have to show their names so it's kind of like that but it's much more subtle it's just right next to the buy now button uh like add to cart button it's on nfl.com yeah you go to the shop yeah i'm really curious it'll just say like someone bought this like two hours oh cool just click any of the yeah we just click like i don't know Oh my God, it's pop-ups, so many pop-ups. We love pop-ups, it's Division Champion sure, or something. It should be on all, like, so if you bet. Oh, cool, last purchase 36 minutes ago. Huh, yeah, that is much more subtle. Which like, I don't know if that's more effective or not. I would doubt it's more effective than like Probably somebody, because I also yeah. like when it says, where, like on FOMO, it tells you where the person was. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know why, but I like that. <laughs> I don't know what I can tie that to. Well, it's, it's sort of like their whole point. It makes is, them a real it, person. It makes it a real person and it makes it feel like you're in a busy store. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's just very effective. My first thought on this was like, they're making it up. Oh, but then yeah. I realized they weren't because I looked at a couple of other product pages and it was like someone bought this two weeks ago and I was like, okay, they're not making because they wouldn't that. make that up. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that wouldn't be helpful. Nobody has ever bought <laughs> yeah. this product. Exactly. There's a little crying emoji. <laughs> 
<laughs> or it could be like be the first and get be like an extra exactly yeah, i don't know there's a <laughs> definitely a tangent but there's a site that you can go We're to in tangent mode now where i uh, where it's <laughs> it lets you play through random unplayed songs on spotify oh. so it's people who have released music on spotify that has never been listened to and you can just you can listen to music for the first time on spotify wow yeah which is like kind of cool and also just a little sad yes right? exactly. <laughs> all of these aspiring musicians who've oh, gotten man. zero listens to a song right like, not even Ouch. from themselves yeah that's if a good point about it. <laughs> yeah. it's like even their mom didn't listen to yeah. it <laughs> savage oh that's Ouch. rough <laughs> that's rough damn i hadn't even thought of that it's brutal <laughs> <laughs> their mom's like next year son yeah year. <laughs> I, it's, i'll get to it it's on the backlog <laughs> well i think the other crazy thing with social proof too is that we use it on ourselves right so one of the cores of social proof is how we'll use what other people are doing to figure out what we should do but we also judge what we like we try to explain what we are doing or we look to what we are doing to explain ourselves right uh so it talks about later i'm not explaining it well but he talks about later how if you like tell somebody that they are charitable mm, yes. they'll behave yep. in a charitable way but that's also like the cognitive dissonance kind yeah of oh you know what this might not be part of social this might be liking or authority or something but it is partially it is kind of like oh other people think that i'm this that's gotta live up to yeah to that expectation exactly yeah yeah it's like oh you're a generous person that right so then it's like if now I have two to. minutes later I ask you for a donation, it's like, well, everyone thinks I'm a generous person, so <laughs> I, I better be generous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also like how he ties it to the bystander effect, right? As well, well where I was the huge one. Yeah, yeah, I love that example. I like always have remembered that. I mean, luckily I haven't been in a situation where I've like collapsed on a street, right? But the example he gives is like if you're, let's say, in a city like New York and you collapse, like there's a good chance if you don't do anything that people might just keep walking by you because it's the bystander effect, which is that like everybody assumes somebody else is going to do. It. right everyone uh, thinks someone else will help you or since nobody else is helping you it's not a big it's not deal. yeah it might just yeah. be like if somebody's dying but no one sees anyone helping that person you know people might talk themselves into like oh they're probably just drunk and you know passed out on the street or yeah like, that's you know, probably fine all, yeah. yeah there's all these other explanations people give themselves but his way of like short-circuiting that yeah. is uh you specifically point at somebody and you say like like his example is you sir in the blue jacket i need help call an ambulance and like that person will do it yeah because it's like not there's no more bystander effect it's right like someone has been called on to do that and the example he gives too of himself getting in a car accident where as soon as he told a couple of people to help then everybody else started helping too is uh, i thought that was interesting because it's how you can turn the social proof effect around right yeah where it causes the bystander effect where nobody helps but then it can also cause people to help once you have gotten somebody involved because once people see somebody helping then they all rush to help too mm, but yep. when nobody is helping nobody does anything nobody does anything. yeah yeah i love the example of the room with the smoke too did you remember that one where it's like they brought people in for what they said was some unrelated test and then they started pumping smoke under the door and people just like wouldn't do anything about it if it was just one person in the room they would get up and investigate but if there were four people in the room like they wouldn't get up it was only like 30 percent but then if they had three of the people in the room be actors who were specifically told not to do anything in response, then it was like fewer than 10% of the times that the fourth person would get up and do anything about the smoke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all sort of felt that too. If you're like in a room and you're like, even though you might think something is the right action, I'm having a lot of trouble coming up with an example, but it's like, if you think you're supposed to go to like one part of the room and nobody else is doing that, you definitely start to like question yourself of like, wait, did I miss something? Yeah. What do they know that I don't know? (laughs) Yeah. It's very very hard thing to resist. Yeah. Because I think like, you know, there's so many aspects to it. We don't want to look stupid. 
Right. Or I think we also just, I think maybe there might be like an evolutionary part to this. We can always point to an evolutionary example, but like there might be something where there's so much information out there that we can't process all of it or be aware of all of it. So the people who were, uh, who got good at picking up on signals from other people might've had a survival advantage. So the whole idea of like looking at what other people are doing and following that might've worked more times than not. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's like, you might not see the tiger directly, but like if that guy's running, you probably should be running too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you don't, you're probably going to get eaten. And the downside risk is like not that much. You just, if there's no tiger then you just ran, it's like, okay, like you're not going to die from running. (laughs) Right, Right. Right. So it didn't kill you to be wrong by following the crowd. Yeah. So certain behaviors were probably ones we were more biased towards because they were more preserved. They had an asymmetric. Yeah. Risk, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Right. In yeah. that so example, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like, well, it's like the risk of not running away if they're like, if let's say you and I are like on opposite sides of like a field, and then I just look over and I see you like sprinting it away right. from the field because, and I, so if I assume that I should be sprinting too, that's sort of the social proof thing. It's like, yeah, but at the same run. time, I could see a tiger and then nobody else could be moving, and I would be inclined not to move because everybody else yes. is being chill, right? That's and true. That's that's the bad part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although so there is like an instinct, if you saw something like that, you'd either freeze or run, right? It's probably one probably, of those two. Yeah. It's like the fight or flight kind of thing yeah i don't know it's hard to say yeah it's hard to say where it would come from i I feel like it's probably just a general herding instinct where you know we're very tribal and we don't want to like inflict with other people there's also that part too yeah there's also the social part like if you stood out too much that might not also, that might not be good either. Exactly. That could be bad too. Yeah. yeah, you get kicked out of the herd, yeah. right? Don't want that. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a lot of interesting elements to it. I like this part too where, um, and this is where he slightly shifts uh, gears a little bit mm-hmm. where he's talking about like people who are like us, we like, we tend to like them oh, more. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the wallets? Yeah, so the wallets yeah. thing. So he's talking about like returning a lost wallet and what was the example again it's like if it's like a little you, story written in the wallet in the wallet right? yeah it's like, it was either written like the person was a new yorker or like the person was an immigrant yeah so yeah. if the person was like them sorry if the person was not like them only 33 percent of the wallets were returned but if the person was thought to be similar to them they returned the wallet seven percent of the time yeah that's a huge it's difference a big difference yeah but there's a really good um thing about like the flip side of like actually how to use some of these things mm-hmm. there's something i uh, and chaz won't be pissed if i bring this up so i'm gonna bring this one up (laughs) it's like uh i I learned this tactic from him and i do it all the time is like he moved a lot growing up so he's lived pretty much everywhere in the u.s because his dad was in the military so he was just like uh always moving around so because of that anytime we'd have a call and i'd listen in on his like sales call with somebody he has something in common with that person because most likely he's lived in that place. So we would have a call with somebody in like Atlanta and he's bringing up a street in Atlanta that has like a good restaurant that he likes. And he's like, oh, is Fat Matt's barbecue still there? And they'd be like, yeah, we love Fat Matt's. And he's like, yeah, it was like my favorite place when we used to live in Atlanta. And they're like, oh, you used to live in Atlanta, right? It's like, then that person thinks like, this this guy's one of us, right? And like, you know, if he didn't have a direct connection, he like all of us know people from all over the place, right? So you just like, you find like even that one little thread that you have in connection with the person mm-hmm. and the call goes so much better it goes so much smoother you know what the guy i talked to just before this episode did that to you yeah oh, although he wasn't he wasn't really selling anything like we were already no, going to work together but it's a good way to build rapport it's a good way yeah. to build rapport because yeah. he saw my area code and he had worked in northern virginia before uh, he definitely pulled it on you yeah he was like a tactic no because he was uh he's like the lawyer i was hiring right and he's like oh you northern virginia like yeah. i used to work there and but now that you mentioned i, I don't think it 
was like a deliberate sales no, no, no. thing. No, no, no. It's it was, just it was a good nice, way to like though. get to know somebody yeah, too. It's, it's like, like even if you're randomly talking to somebody, it's like an easy thing to do is like, you know, somebody's like, oh, I went to like, you know, Penn State or something. You'd be like, oh, my cousin went, you know, if you have some connection to that, like you just find yeah. something that you have. Like the world is not that big not anymore we all have connections to different people or something in common yeah um so you can usually find something like that to get a little i guess it's not really social proof but it sort of is yeah i mean it is in the way that he describes it in this chapter yeah yeah um so we what is it we assume that if a lot of people in the same thing they must know something we don't yeah so that's basically what this whole chapter comes down to yeah well i I think the last thing in here that is worth touching on is the suicide stuff ah yeah yeah with the uh what does he call it the werther effect so basically when a suicide is reported in the news like a big one then suicide rates go up you think that's true for mass shootings too I've heard that. I feel like there is an element to it. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of people have been pushing for not revealing any information about the shooters. The shooters, yeah. Because other people see that as a way for them to like get some significance in their life. Like, oh, everyone will be talking about me. Right. 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 And so they've been uh, they've been trying to move to talk less about the shooters themselves. Are there right? countries that do that? I uh, talk about the shooters. There are countries, I can't remember off the top of my head, but some uh, well, okay. First off, there really aren't other countries that have mass shooters. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then there there was, I can't remember where it was, but they got the newspapers to stop reporting suicides, to stop talking about them. And it decreased the overall suicide rate. Because it's, I mean, it is this thing that, yeah. the fact that he's talking about in yeah. this chapter. Which is, like yeah. You see people like, doing that. unfortunate, right? Yeah. And, but, and then the point he makes is that people will do it in seemingly accidental ways, like by driving their car into another car off the road or like crashing a plane, right? And so he actually says that he avoids, you know, public travel stuff like after a big suicide has been reported, uh, which is yeah. pretty wild. Even if it's like a celebrity or Yeah, because like if whatever. it's a celebrity yep. or somebody like that everywhere. kind of infects people. Yeah. There's a lot of people walking around who are on the verge of committing suicide and then they just need that little like... Little push, push yeah, yeah. Like, oh well, if they did it, I can do it, right? Or oh, like I'll get the attention. And it too. might not even be a conscious thing. Yeah, it's it, probably not. Be, yeah, it's just like that gives them the social proof. Yeah, of doing it to do something. Yeah, and the statistics on that are kind of crazy. There's a good Freakonomics episode on it too, and the conclusion of the Freakonomics episode was basically that, like, yeah, we should absolutely stop reporting suicides in the news. Like, it's pretty clearly has this effect, and there's really no good stuff from it. Yeah, the, the one thing they said that you might be able to mitigate it by is by not focusing on the suicide itself, but focusing on how much the family and people missed the person, right? And like how sad they were that they died. Yeah. So right? then it, it shows you the negative effects of that exactly. behavior. Yep. Yeah. And it doesn't like dig into stuff about them. And so then that's like for the mass shootings, it would be the same thing of like you focus more on the victims yeah, exactly. as opposed to like the person who did it. Yeah. Which I think they did. But there is this instinct too of like this like almost tribal, like we want to burn that person at the stake. Yeah. You know, so it's like there is this instinct of like, I want to know exactly who it is and like find out all about them. Well, that's the crazy thing with when it happens now is that it immediately turns into this like, oh, are they Muslim or are they not Muslim? Right. 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 It's immediately what it gets into. That's so true. And then you just go on Twitter and you can read through all the comments and it's like, you've got this whole camp and it's like, well, obviously, like, oh, it's because. Well, there's confirmation bias on either side. Yeah. Like if it is, then there's one camp that's like, see, we told you. you, uh, Everybody in this religion is bad. And like, yeah, that if it's not, then the other camp's like see we, we told, told you, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like it's not just you know this one group right that would i bet there is a good book though about 
all this stuff like that dive specifically into like violent acts and well the weird thing with mass shooting stuff is it's a fairly recent yes. phenomenon yeah but right? i'm sure someone's written a book about it yeah i'm sure there's, there's, there's like, something out there yeah. although it's also it'd be hard because it's so it keeps changing too well and it's so statistically insignificant in the number of occurrences yep. that you can't really make any the definition too of mass shooting is very interesting like have you seen how different oh, outlets define yeah. it so differently that bullshit statistic like there have been more more mass shootings than like, days eh. and it's like it's no, like, like <laughs> there have been lots of days with gang activity where right. people died from gunshot wounds. There have not been mass shootings. Right. Those right? are different. Like there's clearly differences yeah. in those. There's yeah. a big difference between a shootout in the south side of Chicago right. and a guy posting up in a Vegas hotel, right? It's like like shooting people out of his window. Yeah, yeah. Those are two very different things, but you know, it sells a narrative right. if you call them the same thing, right? right? Yeah. And then like the NRA gets angry, right. and then like liberals <laughs> get angry, camp. and then everyone's angry, and then here we are talking about yep. it, increasing, increasing the, the <laughs> yeah. So, our fault. Good times. Yep. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, so the next one is called liking the friendly thief. So basically, that when we like people or when we like something, we attribute more good things to it, yeah. right? And we just like give it more leniency and go along with whatever that person wants. I, <laughs> you see this all this i mean this is yeah. kind of like what we were literally just talking about the two camps or whatever yeah exactly People always just kind of like attribute uh actually that's not really the same thing but it's it, like it is kind of like if we see somebody in our tribe being yes, attacked right then we will assume that they are right yeah right right like, because we like them yeah we like people like them well and this is the hardest thing whenever you hear a story from a friend about something bad that happened to them right yeah because you the, don't know what side of the story exactly the temptation yeah. is to just take their side and be like yeah that person was like terrible and it's like all right there's probably more nuance to yeah. this right <laughs> yeah uh and it's like the same thing with all the tribal stuff yeah. right you kind of have to check that impulse to immediately jump on the bandwagon for your group uh we, we talked about like the net neutrality thing a lot oh, before, right? yeah right this yep. is like the perfect example of it like all the net neutrality repeal stuff is just not a big deal right but you were but, saying that, like and the thing is i haven't done a whole lot of research about it but yeah. if you hadn't told me all that stuff about how it's like there are definitely two sides to the argument yeah i would have just looked at what my tribe is doing yeah but it's like if you like, just look out on reddit it's yeah. like, oh all the tech people are losing their shit over yeah, this so it I, must like, be bad but exactly right yeah yep so it's so easy to just kind of like blindly follow whoever we likes opinion Right. It's also, I wonder if that's also why celebrity endorsements in general are so valuable. Because if you think about it, like, who cares who LeBron James votes for for president? Yeah. Like, he's not like... It's not like an educated person. political... Yeah. Like, he's not like a... You know, like, like, what does playing basketball have to do with running the country? Like, he, he probably is a smart guy in his domain. He's probably a smart guy in general. Yeah. Like, business savvy and whatever. But, like, those are two very different things. But I bet there are people who voted a certain way... So like LeBron voted for Hillary, so I got to vote for Hillary. You know, it's just like they just correlate those two things. They like somebody, so they attribute whatever that person's doing to be good. Right. And that's the same thing for any kind of celebrity endorsement for products or for anything. It's like people, we know that just because people like this person, right, that they'll trust their opinion yep. or what they're associated with. Right. Yep. There's sort of this like effect that this whole influencer marketing yeah well it is influencer marketing yeah exactly (laughs) it's like you just put this name brand on your product and then your product gets some of that person's name brand you know projected onto it yeah Yeah. just by like being associated with it it's like really effective and then just on the individual level he's got these examples that handsome men receive much lighter sentences and uh attractive defendants were twice as likely to avoid jail as unattractive ones. I think that means right? we have a leeway to uh, go commit some. Exactly. Like <laughs> Dude, we can smuggle <laughs> so much Bitcoin. 
Send it all okay, to ISIS. on all the watch lists yes. now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good thing this isn't public. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. seriously, <laughs> it's just a private conversation, Nat and Neil. <laughs> but it's interesting how it can work in like such subtle ways. Like the one where he's talking about like the student and the um, experimenter dressing similarly versus differently. Which one was that? The one where basically, oh, so yes. you know, yeah, 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 yeah. So when an experimenter was asking something of the student. I think what was it? He's asking him for like a yeah, little bit of money like a or dime something. For yeah, to make a call. Yeah, very small amount of money. Yeah, but if they were dressed similarly, the student was I think two thirds more likely. Two thirds more likely. Yeah. No, 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 it was no, granted. Oh, okay. It was granted more than two thirds of the time, and when they were dressed differently, it was provided less than half the time. Yeah. So it's like not a gigantic difference, but it's such a subtle thing. Mm-hmm. It's like if you were wearing a suit and I'm wearing a t-shirt we're not dressed similarly. So there's some part of you that's like, all right, this guy is not the same as me. But if I was wearing a suit and you're wearing a suit, it's like, okay, well, this guy's one of of my tribe. Dude, I catch myself doing that all the time. Really? I judge people based on like how they're dressed probably more than anything else. Really? Yeah. You would not have struck me as somebody who does that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think it's actually a pretty useful heuristic. Like if somebody is in a suit and like Uh, walking around and like super suited up, I just typically assume that I'm not going to like them very much, right? Like if that's what they're doing on like their, you know, afternoon, they're like on their phone, you know, being loud or whatever. It's like, all right, I probably don't have that much in common with this person. Yeah. Right. And at the same time, if they're dressed like super sloppily and like their clothes are like crazy baggy and hanging off and all of that, I'm like, I probably don't have much in common with this person either. Yeah. But then like, there's that, you know, that like startup bro range, yes. right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> startup bro range. if they're wearing so like true. fitted jeans and a hoodie, like they're probably going to get along. Yeah. Like, probably something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I totally recognize that yeah. that is just like prejudice, bias. No, whatever. but it's probably but true. It's yeah. probably true. Not probably. It definitely is. Yeah. True. It's like a useful heuristic yeah <laughs> right and i mean i actually you know that's why i tend to find that's like a way things like that are much better predictors of similarity now than like race income level like facial characteristics yeah. like all of that stuff it's typically now like how you present yourself there are also really interesting things you can do around uh like when you brought that up i was like there's things you can do that are almost like you can have really interesting conversations by going out of your way to talk with somebody who's not at all like you. Mm, uh, yeah. It can lead to some really fun. I mean, it's partially why, like, I don't know if you do this. I'm sure you do this too. It's like, I love talking to Uber drivers Yeah, because there's just so many Uber or Lyft. Sorry for anybody who's an anti-Uber <laughs> person. <laughs> Whatever. <Good> deal. <laughs> You're, exactly. Your ride share driver. Yeah. Because um, there's some, like some of them have really interesting backstories or like in other countries, like riding a cab and like talking to cab driver. Mm-hmm. There's some really cool stories you can have. And that's partly the fun of going to like just a random bar and just like talking to people is like, you just never know who you're going to find. Whereas on the internet, I find we're all herded into like like-minded communities yeah. by choice. Like if you have a choice to do that, you will do that. Whereas like if you're in a room of people, you just don't know, or even like talking next to somebody on a plane, yeah. sometimes pretty interesting. Sometimes I don't like it when people do that to me. I know that's the and hard thing. <laughs> I don't like doing it on long flights, but if it's like a short flight, like if we were flying from like, I don't know, here to Pittsburgh or like here to Boston or something. Mm-hmm. It's like one hour at most. You know, you can deal with that. But if it's yeah. like a 12 hour flight, if you go to like Beijing or something. It's like, then it gets awkward, right? Oh, How many yeah. times do we reinitiate yeah. conversation? <laughs> exactly. But I really like doing that in foreign countries too. Exactly. Right. That's yep. always super interesting. Like you get a way totally more, different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally different perspectives on life. You just have really good conversations. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you do have to go out of your way to find it. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have to fight this like instinct to not talk to somebody who's different than me. Oh yeah. Pretty aggressively have to yep. fight it. 
it. It's not, I don't think it's natural for us to want to do that. And I wonder your point too about like race and income and all that, that might just be because of how we grew up. We don't view those things as being like predictors of people being different. Because mm-hmm. I find that like, at least for the startup bro culture, yeah. there are startup bro people of, of all races yeah. and of all genders as well. That's yeah. also true. Definitely more male dominated, but like you definitely meet girls who are like the same tribe as you. Yeah, let's put it. It's like the old predictors are not really useful for mental similarity. But but where I was going with that is like, I wonder if there are like, I don't want to say parts of the country, but like the areas and areas. Also parts of the country. Also, no, (laughs) no, it's not. But there are like start like I was literally just talking to somebody from Florida. Yeah. Like not like Miami or like, like, I think like near like Tallahassee or something. And that guy is totally a startup, bro. Yeah. So it's like, it's not that because he lives in Tallahassee, he's like not going to be part of our tribe. But there are like. And there's people in New York probably oh, who are not part of our tribe. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, there's definitely people in New York who are not part of our tribe. What am I saying? Most of New York. <laughs> yeah. But maybe for them, like they're still viewing these other indicators as being more relevant. So maybe it's just like our you know past experience that's taught us like those things aren't. Yeah. But maybe for them, it's like their identity is so tied up in their race or their income. I've seen for some finance people, it's like so income oh, oriented, yeah, exactly. right? So like. Yeah, so maybe for them, like their tribe is like defined by their race or defined by their income, income bracket. Or, yeah, their their zip code. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you just see different people tie up their identity in different things. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's harder to be reflective on that, like it's to know what hard. do you tie your own idea. It's much easier to see in other people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, don't know, I feel like I have a pretty good idea. No, what I, think, I tie it up in. Yeah, but, I think, but like in general, people tend to not know what they're doing. Yeah. About that, like how it's they probably just because we talk about it a lot that we're a little. More well, and we've had all these episodes recently of like how your mind works basically yeah exactly. and so we've been so thinking you, you about it a lot denial of death yeah and not think about some of these things be like man what am i doing to yes. try to escape my mortality exactly right and it's like oh okay yeah that's why i work on this stuff yeah exactly so <laughs> just want to feel briefly significant before i turn into a dinosaur fart <laughs> actually we already are dinosaur farts probably that's true. Made up of dinosaur a, parts. A non-zero percent of the molecules in our body were probably dinosaur yeah. parts at one point. It's, it's cool to think about. That is interesting to think about, yeah. I wonder if mine was a smelly one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the laugh track. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I don't even right. know what tangent number so, that is. <laughs> yes. Liking. <laughs> uh, but basically, the way, the way you combat this, right, is... You just have to ask yourself if you are liking someone more than you should, given the circumstances. If you've met someone and it's only been, you know, 20 minutes and you're like, oh, this person's great. I want to invite them to my wedding. That might be a sign that they have pulled some (laughs) trickery on you to make you like them more. Did he have a good counter to this one? Yeah, that that was the counter. It's just to be alert. So he basically says you just need that awareness of like, wait, why do I like this person so much? Oh, yeah. Right. Is it truly because we have a lot of stuff in common and share a lot of ideas? Or is there something else here where I just like feel like they're part of my tribe? Yeah. I also liked when he called out. uh, I was looking for the quote. I found it where he called out like the whole natural. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We get hooked on a fad and then we think that everything associated with that fad is good. Yeah. Right. It's like, I mean, do you remember when gluten free was just becoming a thing? You would see like gluten free water. And they yeah. still have it. They still have that on the label. It still says gluten-free on water bottles. And you're just like, okay, like, <laughs> why? like why? But I bet there are people who are influenced by that. Exactly. People probably think that, oh, that means it's healthy. That must be, right? Or that must mean the non-gluten-free labeled bottled water has gluten, gluten in it yeah. then. So. They're just like marinating wheat yeah. in water before they sell it. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, I mean, that, yeah. that is exactly what it is. It's like there's a fad that catches people's attention, whether it's a fad or not. But like, 
there's something that catches people's attention. Like, I would still say, like, something that is, quote, like, natural. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of lost all meaning. But, like, in the sense that it's closer to what our bodies have been used to eating or drinking for 10,000 plus years is probably more natural. Like, that's how I would define that. But you could apply it to, like, now all natural just doesn't mean doesn't mean shit. Oh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. Mean well, it's kind of like organic. Organic right. is a pretty yeah. tricky term now, too, because the what makes something organic is pretty loose. Same with free range. Okay. Right? Wait, so, I don't actually know about that. So organic or free range, what is the, like, what was it and what is it? Well, so there's what you think it means, right? Which is that it's totally unaltered for organic, right? It's like it's totally unaltered, doesn't have any pesticides Pesticides and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, As I understand it, there's still like a number of pesticides and things they can use and it can still be somewhat genetically like modified pesticides or something yeah <laughs> yeah i think there's like ways to get around it mm. just based on the technical definition and then also with free range free range just means that the animal gets a certain amount of free time not that it's lived its whole life freely running around so you can have a cow in the same you know horrible cage like cage that it can't really walk around it but you let it out for 10 minutes a day and that is like a free range cow Right? Really? And then they That's put like that on totally their packaging. not what you would expect. Exactly. Because when, right? when you see free range, you're like, wow, this is like probably a happier animal. Like it's running around in the pastures, <laughs> like jumping around with the pigs and chickens and stuff. <laughs> not necessarily. Like sometimes it is. Yeah. But a lot of those labels, you can bullshit them pretty easily. Wow. Right? Like we see this with keto too. Like there's a lot of quote unquote keto products that just have nothing to do with being ketosis. (laughs) They're just jumping on the bandwagon. And especially when these terms aren't strongly regulated, it's really easy to just throw out a fake product. Nobody can do anything. And these two, it's like, it doesn't seem to be as ambiguous. Like if something is, you know, organic or free range, like that, the thing you just described as free range, I don't think any, it doesn't pass like the smell test. Right. Like anyone who would hear that term and expect that it's not what you would expect. Right. But Like I know in beer, there's always this big debate around what craft means mm. because like some bigger beer companies own smaller beer companies in a lot of cases and like they want to use the term craft and then the independent ones always complain about that. They're like, well, they're part of a big company, but then like craft could mean different things to different people, right? Craft could be like, so one definition of craft is it's made by a small independent business. Okay. That's some people's definition, but like another definition could be that it's made like in small batches and it's not made in like a big industrial facility that's doing like, you know, millions and millions of barrels of the exact same stuff. It's like, you know, this batch is sort of a limited edition, like different people have different things that they mean when they say the word craft. So in that case, like there's an actual debate that I'm like, okay, I can see like both sides, like might, you know, the ownership structure maybe does influence what, when someone buys something that's labeled craft, they might not think they're buying it from a hundred billion yeah, dollar company much, yeah. yeah but on the other hand it's like they might still be adhering to all like this the small batch things that you would expect right. from a craft like a owned by a craft product yeah that just happens to be owned so it's like there's an actual debate but the free range thing doesn't sound like there's a debate on like there wouldn't be people who are like well that is free range yeah technically (laughs) the only people who are saying that are Are owners of the yeah yeah the beef companies Uh, another example of this i heard recently is prosecco okay so champagne has to be from champagne france right prosecco technically has to be from a certain part of italy as well Hmm. but 
there are not the same laws and regulations around it the way there are around champagne. Okay. So pretty much anybody can say that they yeah. make a Prosecco. You see that everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. But most of them aren't actually Prosecco. They're just sparkling wines. And so I think the only way you know it's a Prosecco is if it actually has the DOCG Italian label over the cork on top. Interesting. So if that's not there, it's not a real Prosecco. It's not a real Prosecco. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It could be Prosecco style. Or could be, yeah, a very similar style yeah. or even the same grape, yeah. right? But it's not actually grown in that region. Right. It's not like a true Prosecco. Prosecco. So. Yeah, all of this terminology stuff I find pretty fascinating. Yeah, there's one, uh, there's the beer style called Kolsch, which I think oh, I'm pronouncing yeah, yeah. that right. So technically, it's only from Cologne, Germany. Mm. And there's something about their water that's like very soft. It's like really meant for that style. But there's breweries everywhere that make a Kolsch. And they always complain about it in Germany that like, because they don't have that same protection that, uh, I wonder what that rule is actually. Yeah, that's a good question. It's got to be some international rule, right? Because otherwise, like, why couldn't an American company just be like, "Well, fuck France, I'm just going to call yeah, my like, thing what champagne." Are they gonna do? Yeah, champagne. <laughs> we created a small city, Champagne, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Bottling our own champagne. Good idea. <laughs> yeah, a little workaround. Well, the law said it had to be bottled in champagne. It didn't say which champagne, so we found a street called Champagne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so. Interesting. If you find yourself liking something more than you should, then you might be getting influenced. <laughs> and then the next one is authority. And this is this one actually ties in a lot, I found, with the liking too. Like the example you gave of kind of like LeBron James, right, doing political stuff. Or the example that Cialdini gives is a TV actor playing a doctor, yeah. giving uh, like recommending a pharmaceutical yeah. on TV, right? That person has no authority to be recommending a drug just because right. they played a doctor on TV. But we see them as an authority in that area. We take it seriously. This. I always think about this whenever I see like Bill Nye talking about like science stuff. Yeah, he's not a scientist. No, he has the exact same science quote credentials that I do, which is undergraduate in engineering. Yeah. Just not, not a scientist. And neither is Bill Nye. No. But he played a scientist. Exactly. <laughs> so any science issue, he's all of a sudden treated as an authority. That's why it's so silly when you hear him like doing these debates about climate change and stuff. Yeah, it's like, like, you are not the authority you not here. not be the person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, we love I mean, you. We, had, like, we all Dr. grew up House, like having a medical debate on TV. <laughs> yeah. Like, Yeah, right? <laughs> So, yeah, but for some reason, like with certain fields, we just buy into it. Yeah. I don't know why, right? Like, it's very compelling. I mean, I think with that one, at least, it was like his branding and his name. So people bought into it much more. Right. Right. Well, and so many of us saw Bill Nye videos as kids in like school. And so there's part of you that's like feeling nostalgic about it. But like you always viewed him as a child. You viewed him as knowing more than you did. Exactly. You thought right? of him as so, an authority. Authority. Right? Yeah. And that carried over to now. Uh, but it's so easy to fall into that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, this also reminds me of uh, amusing ourselves to death. Where it's like we view TV almost as like the pseudo real life kind of thing. Mm. So we view this more in TV than we would even with authors. Yeah. With authors, it's like if they're talking about something totally outside of their expertise, you have a little bit more disbelief. But it's like if you saw them on TV playing a role, you're much, I, in my opinion at least, you're more likely to view them as the authority of the role that they were playing. Yeah, that's like, a good you know point. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he gives the weatherman example yeah. here, which I thought was so funny of the, the weatherman getting hate mail whenever there was rain and stuff. Because people watching it, I guess, thought the weatherman like decided the weather. Would well, that's like the killing the messenger calls. thing. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, the yeah. Persian messenger yeah. syndrome of it's like this person brought the bad news. And yeah. so now we're going to punish them. It's not their fault. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but people always do. It. They're like, weather people don't know anything. I do. I've said that before, too. Yeah. Anytime they mess up, it's like weather people. Well, and then 
that's, there's a difference. You never care about the time they get it right. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> that must be a pretty thankless job, actually. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> He's got so many funny examples in here, too, about like doctor stuff. I guess they're not funny. They're kind of terrifying, <laughs> right? About basically they did these experiments where they tricked nurses into thinking they were getting orders from a doctor, but they were actually getting orders from it's literally a random person over the phone yeah. and the person would call them on the phone into the hospital and order a medication to a patient that had not been like written on the charts anywhere and was like a lethal dose of the medication. And they knew that. Yeah. And the nurse, well, the nurses should have known that. And the nurses went and got the medication. And we're going to like take it to the patient before they got intercepted, which is crazy. crazy. And he said it happened to like 95% of the well, time. That's they like did the, that. that's like, they're just following orders kind of, yeah. uh, that's that defense. Right. Which right. is like, that example actually makes him think it's like more possible that somebody is just following orders and like they think that the authority knows more than them. Yeah. Right. So it's like, let's say like any of like the torture examples, right. It's like, even if the individual soldier like probably had been told many times during their training, like you cannot do this. It's like against the Geneva conventions and all these things, but it's like, if you get ordered to do it by your commander, you're probably not going to second guess the commander. Yeah. Well, that's the whole Stanley Milgram experiments that he opens with, right, yeah. is where he's got these two people. And, you know, one of them is I've heard some criticism about those experiments, though, recently. But I could I, I could be like like about the methods. Yeah, I could be like, well, that experiment definitely would not fly today. Yeah. So there was that part of it. But it was also the uh, there's something about the method. Like there was somebody who I don't know. I'll look it up. But it was okay. one of those like repeatability things for mm. psych experiments. Well, I, I think they can't repeat, repeat it this now. One. Yeah. Well, no, I, they did a, a modern people... day version that was like not pain driven oh i see like yeah so it's still hard to know if you're actually repeating the experiment yeah. but they got like a slightly different result it was still like people do obey authority but not to the degree that yeah because milgram got some pretty crazy it. results and, and the short version for anyone who doesn't know about this experiment was stanley milgram had people come in and then he told them they were administering a test to somebody on the other side of like a hidden panel so they couldn't see the person they were administering the test to and every time that person got something wrong the experimentee had to shock them and then every time they got it wrong they increased the amount they were shocking them and eventually the person was like screaming and begging them to stop and you know like begging for the experiment to end asking to leave and milgram kept telling them no you have to keep shocking them and these were just people off the street and they kept going along kept with going, it yeah even when they were hearing these like horrible cries for help and the cries for help were all faked so it was right, by another experimenter like, yeah. but it's still like that's the terrifying thing. Yeah. These people could. They wouldn't have known that. Yeah, they didn't know. Well, and that's one of the things I've heard about the experiment is that a lot of those people got kind of like screwed up uh, from going yeah. through it. Right. To know that they could. They to were know they could do that. it. Yeah. Well, that's like, I mean, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Peterson. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Know that you could be like, you could, you could be, be a Nazi. Nazi soldier. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that does fuck you up to think about that. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Like, yeah. Well, and that's sort of like the weird thing, too, is, you know, you read enough psych stuff and it's like, OK, yeah, pretty much all of us would have gone along with it. Yeah. Right. Yep. And nobody wants to say that. because like, oh, you would have gone along with right. it. Like you're a terrible person. Yep. It's like, no, we're just kind of honest and about human nature. You, it makes you that much more at, like admiring of people who went against the grain. Yeah. Because it's like when you really start to understand it, it's like you don't even realize how hard that possibly could have been to go against the grain on that. Oh, yeah. It's like I was reading. Um, I'm still I'm almost done with the third volume of that Churchill biography, the William Manchester one. Mm hmm. And like, this is a much less extreme example than being a Nazi, but like the, the appeasers basically. So like he, I don't know if you're familiar with this, like how Chamberlain was like, um, Neville Chamberlain was a big appeaser of Hitler. He was like, oh, if we just give him Czechoslovakia or we just give him, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, like, uh, I think Austria was the first one that they gave him and he'll be happy and he won't expand anywhere else. And Churchill kept saying like, this is not the end game. Like clearly this is just the start. And everyone was like, ah, shut up. And he like lost his seat. He like, lost, he was basically politically exiled. 
but he kept like writing about it and like talking about it. And he was literally the lone voice until they went in and uh, invaded Poland. And that was when people started being like, hmm, maybe there's something to what this guy's insane. But it was like 10 years of him being this outsider talking about it and doing whatever he could on the side to like have people start prepping, like whether it's his contacts in the military to be like, please make sure you're aware we could go to war at any time. And yeah. this is not the piece that you think that it is. And But to see somebody do that at the cost of their career, it makes you wonder, it's like, would I do that? Because if I saw everybody else going in the other direction... I don't know. It's like very, like most likely not. Yeah. Right? Like well, that's most the, likely I would have been an appeaser just to see if you see everybody else doing it. Like social it's, proof. It's very hard for me to say that like I wouldn't be that person. And I think that's part of the problem we have now with all of this crazy political correctness. Yeah. Right. right. Is exactly. that there's a lot of people who disagree with the things that are being said and instituted, but they just won't talk about it. Yep. Right. And because, again, it's like, you know, fear of going against the grain, like you said, and like standing out. That's hard. I think the one difference I see now versus the example I gave was like now there are it seems like there's enough people who know that they're just being quiet out of their own uh, job security. Yeah. As opposed to thinking that they're wrong. But what if that's just how it starts? Uh, that might just be how it starts. Right? And then because you the more you do that, it. exactly. Yeah. You create the cognitive that's dissonance. True. It's like, well, I didn't speak up before, so I must not be that not okay with it yeah. right yep like that's a very good point it must not be that big a deal because i haven't done anything about it right and it's like well that guy did something about it and i didn't so you know it must not actually be that big of a deal to me and so you start going along more and then one and more thing, things yep. yeah one thing leads it's to just, another like, very slow escalation right that's a really good point that's probably how it happens that. yeah yeah which is i feel like that's why you need to like openly disagree with stuff that you even when you feel like you shouldn't Right. And you like should just be disagreeable. You kind of have to to yep. retain your own intellectual honesty. Right? So that actually adds credence to the, you know, when people always say like, well, you just posted like an article about it. Like, mm. like, what does that actually solve with the problem? But it actually solves it for yourself. Yeah. Because it entrenches your position a little bit more. Like if it's a disagreeable position. To right. What the herd it can go is both saying. ways. It can go both ways. Yeah. yeah. But you kind of like put a stake in the ground in some ways for yourself, not really to convince other people. <laughs> yeah. It's like, at least I have said this thing yeah. so that I know that I am being honest. And it could go both ways. You're totally right. You yeah. get entrenched in a wrong position. Too. Exactly. And then you're, you're fixed on this, yeah. right? It's like, uh, I felt like Jamie Damore, whatever the uh, yeah. JP Morgan guy was like shitting on Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. That's, uh, that's diamond. Jamie Diamond. Diamond. That's yeah. right. Demore is Demore. the Demore is the Google. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was thinking that's not Diamond. Jamie. It's uh, something James. else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's Jamie Diamond. It's Diamond. Yeah. Oh, I messed it up twice. Okay. Diamond. No, no. Diamond. Yes. Diamond. Jamie Diamond. Yes. All right. You got it. Yeah, but you knew who you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. But it, he, uh, when he was being like, "Oh, Bitcoin's a fraud. It's fake." Right. It really felt like, okay, you didn't get in on this early. Yeah. <laughs> and now but you're. The pissed. funny thing is, they actually were doing a lot of, uh, not a lot, but they already had active Ethereum experiments going on. Yeah, active people in his company were doing. Yeah, stuff on the they were working on it. There was an Ethereum event in yeah. the J.P. Morgan office <laughs> on the day that he was on TV talking about right. like it being a fraud. So I always like wondered what the actual motivation for that. Okay, my speculation. Also, then Bitcoin crashed a little bit, and a bunch of people from JP bought in. That's literally what I was going to say. My yeah. my cynical side of me thinks that that was their way to create a buying opportunity for yeah. their own firm. No, they some and there's no regulation on, the on it really. There's yeah. no regulation. You don't. You can come on TV, say whatever you want, and you don't have to disclose your position at all. Right. Whereas for stocks, you do. Like if you go on CNBC and you're talking about like, oh, I think Disney is going to be like double of what it is today, yeah. and you own Disney, you have to disclose that like. You own Disney. <laughs> right. And you can't just go out and buy up a bunch before you do that because that's market manipulation. Right. But exactly. There's no market manipulation laws Bitcoin. on Bitcoin. Yes. Yeah, so, so. He, so he could say something like that 
have his people buy a whole bunch of Bitcoin. Yeah. And then they know it's immediately going to come right back to work. Well, that was the problem with all of these celebrity ICOs, right? Oh, yeah. So you have like Floyd Mayweather. That's like literally this, all these tactics being used. Yeah. Authority liking, (laughs) right? Floyd Mayweather saying you should buy this new coin that I'm helping ICO, right? Like, what is Floyd, Floyd Mayweather can't read? Like, yeah. He doesn't know anything about Bitcoin, right? But and for those who think Nat's just being like mean about that, he like actually can't read. Yeah, he literally like, can't. They like, had to read, try to read something on TV. Him and Fifty Cent had a bet about uh, <laughs> like Fifty Cent said something about how he can't read, and Floyd's like, I can read, and then Fifty Cent's like, All right, read a page out of Harry Potter on, I think it was like Instagram or something, uh, or no, um, Facebook Live, I think was what it was. Yeah, and he like couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like you just get a random celebrity to pump an ICO and yeah. there's no laws against it right now. Some of those people are getting indicted. But oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's starting to I crack didn't know down that. now. Okay. Yeah, because I think there are sufficient fraud laws they can go after them. Well, I guess fraud is still a yeah, fraud, fraud's yeah. still a thing. So anyway. So I think that covers authority, right? Yeah, I think people have a good um, grasp on authority. Oh, the last thing we should throw in here is that I don't know if the statistic is still accurate, but he mentions that there's a 12% daily medication error rate in American hospitals from, you know, like nurses not challenging doctors on making mistakes and stuff, which means that if you stay in a hospital for a week, you are more likely than not to get the wrong medication at some point, which is wild. And I also wonder if that's how some of those like very egregious errors happen like the yeah. ones where they're like oh you're supposed to have your arm amputated but we amputated your like leg instead exactly. it's like how That's do you confuse one. my leg for my arm you know like some yeah. of the crazy stuff like that well medical error kills more people than any individual cancer so <laughs> it's like not you know it's not a small percent yeah. of like deaths in this country i mean if you that's why for me it's like i will not go to a hospital yeah unless i'm literally like dying, dying. yeah yeah it's just, yeah. it's not worth the it's risk. Scary. Yeah. Like some of the stuff is just crazy. Uh, oh, and then the, the question he says you have to ask is, is this authority truly an expert? Right. Right. Is whoever which is, is a good one, which is kind of what we were saying is like, you know, like when a celebrity endorses a political candidate, like, yeah. are they, do they actually know what they're talking expert? about? Like not, not anymore. He can't do that. But like if Kevin Spacey endorsed a candidate when he was playing the president on house of cards, right. Oops, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I guess he's not in house of cards anymore. So. Yeah, I think they're canceling it. Yeah, or, or I think they are. No, they're, they're putting doing it on like, hold. No, they're, they're doing another season just without him. How? Well, don't I'm, spoil it. No, no, no. It's just I don't know how they're going to do it. Oh, they okay. just have announced they're not canceled. There's going to be one more season, but just not with him. And they haven't said how. CGI Kevin Spacey yeah. <laughs> for a whole season. <laughs> no, I think they're just not going to be Kevin Spacey in it. I'm very curious where they're going to take it. Yeah, that, but I wonder how they'll do that. Yeah, they said, um, what's the actress's name? Robin Wright. Robin Wright She's yeah. going to be the like total, like actual lead huh. for the whole show, for that whole season. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. She's so it'll, be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, um, he'll just have to die in the beginning or something. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. but it'll be like off screen or something because he's not involved at all anymore. Yeah. Netflix did a good job of completely taking him out. Um, Although, I mean, this is a total tangent. All right, let's go. Uh, <laughs> I guess like the, the challenging thing with him is like, obviously, it seems like he did a bad thing, right? But do we have like confirmation any of it happened or was it I think one he, I accusation think he, no i think he like admitted to it happening did he like okay. he said something uh, well not that in the, the first incident he said he still has like no recollection of okay. but he didn't like rule it out he didn't deny it either he was like it's possible <laughs> okay that it could have happened because i guess but it that, happened so long ago right? yeah and i think even in the story he was like people said he was drunk okay. anyway so it's also possible he was like blacked out or something doesn't excuse it but it's like could still be that he doesn't actually recall it happening. Yeah. So he might not be lying about that. But then there were a lot of other people that came out of the woodwork. Like oh, there was one actually, the thing that 
think was the straw that broke the camel's back was last year. Mm-hmm. There was somebody who uh, said that like they were in a bathroom at a bar, like he was in a bathroom at a bar and like Kevin Spacey was in the bathroom too and then just like grabbed his oh, drunk. Okay. Like, yeah. I'm so off like, social media. I don't and that hear was like about a like confirmed, the rest of And that one was like, I think the guy's mom was actually like famous of something. Like she, it, so he wasn't like a no, like it wasn't like a nobody. So it was like became a much bigger deal. Yeah. And I think he's, checked himself into like rehab or something oh yeah like sex addict rehab yeah so um i think it was like not just like he said he said he said kind of thing in this case it wasn't like like trading accusations it was more just like there was a body of evidence yeah yeah not even like a dispute like the uh, like he wasn't really disputing much of it so yeah i know there's some though that have happened which are like there was the i don't remember the guy's name but there was a new yorker reporter who got fired this week and he was like one of their top reporters and off of what he says is just an accusation. And he said it's somebody he was dating and they broke up under not good terms. And then he's like, he, she reported me for sexual assault. And uh, but then she says that she was sexually assaulted. So there's like a dispute on the what actually happened. Right. But he was like fired immediately. So it's in that case, I could definitely see him suing. Yeah. For, it's hard like, to say um, what the right course of action there is. Yeah. As a company, I don't know what you do. Yeah. But um, yeah. I'm not envious of the person who had to make that decision. No. Because it's like, no matter which way you do it, there's negative consequences. Bad either way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Future yeah. episode. Future episode. I have to get some lawyers on here. That would be an interesting one. I mean, you know a lot of lawyers. Yeah. I know two. Right? <laughs> and, and dad also. And dad, right? yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so. sure they know lawyers who specialize in something like this. Yeah, right? it's true. Yeah. That would be really, there's a lot of really curious. Yeah. yeah. Or like a, a really senior HR person. Yeah. Like how right? they would react. That would be interesting to talk to, right? Like you run a bunch of these little scenarios by them. Like what's uh, the right way to. Yeah. I think the Demore situation would be interesting to talk yeah. to with an HR person too, right? Yeah. It's like if a situation like that happens in your company, how do you decide whether you fire this yeah. person or not? Right. Because yeah. you like on the one hand, you turn them into a martyr, which they definitely did. Right. On the other hand, do you like platform. allow this stuff to, you know, circulate internally? To, like, yeah, deliberately challenge the company from within, right? Yeah. Like, to, on the one hand, that's good. Okay. We're way off. I don't know. But, but <laughs> yeah, that but would, be, would be a really cool episode. episode. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. There's like infinite interesting episodes. There are. It's an infinite game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need people to uh, actually know. This, this is a good, like, fun thing. I think if it became like our full time job, it would become like work it wouldn't be what the podcast be the same. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say people need to start buying more like mushroom coffee and perfect keto <laughs> and kettle on fire and stuff but then i realized like it's not really about the money no we're doing it no, for fun. we were doing it when there was we were doing it before the pre-sponsor day exactly so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was like two episodes ago <laughs> <laughs> okay but then the, the last the last scarcity. weapon of influence is scarcity right so pretty simply the more scarce something appears the more we want it yep. Uh, especially if we go from having it, yeah, FOMO, right? Especially if we go from having it to potentially not having it, right? People hate having their freedom limited, right? We hate the sense of losing our power. And so we'll, you know, cling at it and act much quicker. You know, we'll say, oh no, I want to buy it, right? Whatever, if we feel like we're going to lose the opportunity. I like, I love those sites that do like the countdown clocks. For yeah. The, I mean, sometimes it annoys me, but then other times I'm like props, like good, really you know, good technique there. Mm-hmm. It's like discount ends in, and it'll have like a countdown timer. Well, that's probably why these Black Friday, Cyber Monday, a lot of sites are doing these 12 days of deals now. Yeah. Right. Just notice that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're all just scarcity mechanisms. Right. right? Yeah. Like Amazon has one every day. Yeah. So every day you have to go on and then each individual item has a fixed quantity that they're doing the they sale do that on. For right. It. Yeah. So like two levels of scarcity going on. It's just like I have to buy everything. Right. Exactly. And it's just like. 
it works. Yeah. <laughs> That's the scary part. <laughs> it does. I, I mean, I use this stuff. Like I imagine you do too, to some extent, oh, right? Yeah, like it's definitely. good marketing. Yeah, right? for sure. It just, it works really well. Right, well, and then they've got the crazy example here of how squelching information makes it more believed or seemed more important. Right. And like, that's the, like your Google memo. Yeah. The Google memo yeah. is a good example. The Streisand effect is like the psychological term for it now, I think, where it's like Barbara Streisand asked for a picture of her to be removed yeah. from the internet. Right. Like that didn't go well. <laughs> uh, Beyonce did that too. Yeah. Yeah. That Super Bowl photo of her. Oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah, she's got that like my, ridiculous uh, face. On. My, my brother and I always talk about like um, one thing that Obama did incredibly well during his term mm-hmm. was any controversy. He just like didn't address it. Mm. And by not addressing it, it just went away. Just went away. Yeah. Like there were all these things that if he like tweeted about it, like certain politicians <laughs> uh, would have not died. Like they would just, it would inflame it even. Like we were talking about this maybe a few weeks ago with the NFL thing. Yeah. I mean, it was the thing mm-hmm. before Trump was talking about it, but uh, it wasn't like blown up to the level that it got blown up to yeah. until he started talking about it. If you just like, he could just let that die and like it might not have fully died, but it would not have reached like, like he helped the movement by tweeting about it. Uh, yeah. That's like the best thing that could have happened to the movement. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like information's anti-fragile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like the more you fight it, the stronger it gets. It's kind of like how we want Taleb to, uh, you know, shit on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So once, once he criticizes something, then it will become more popular. <laughs> but the example here about... Fragilistas, Nat Elias, and <laughs> Although I would here, call us fragilistas, but that's that's a different yeah. different tangent. <laughs> uh, with the juries, yeah, right. <laughs> where if they told the juries not to consider information, they considered it more, and then they would like award a higher. Uh, what's the term? They they give, increase the damages paid to like the plaintiff yeah. by quite a bit of money. Yeah, when they were told to ignore something, than when they weren't told to ignore it, right? That's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, because it means that it's actually beneficial to you as a lawyer to throw out information that you know will hurt the other's case, even if that information is inadmissible. Yeah, because even if it's stricken from the record, the jury still, still heard, heard it. it. Yeah, and they'll still think about it, and yep. they're going to think about it more now that it's had that controversy attached to it, which is really scary. Yeah. <laughs> That is the logical strategy for a lawyer. It's unethical, but it, it, but it is. if you want to win, you should do that. Something like that, at least. Yeah. Something to that effect. I also like this thing is like, we find a piece of information more persuasive if we think we can't get it elsewhere. Mm, yeah. It's also it's special. Yeah. yeah. Well, it makes me think of like a lot of like paid sites. Right. Which were, or even like um, paid courses, paid courses, yeah. books, even. You'll take something you paid $100 to watch more seriously than something you found for free on YouTube. Yeah. Or if you read a blog post versus buying a book about something, yeah. you'll take the information way more seriously. <laughs> yeah. Very true. <laughs> which is silly, but it's true. It happens. Yeah. I definitely do. I mean, that. you have like book length blog posts, basically. Not book length, but chapter <laughs> chapter length. Easy. Yeah. yeah. No, easily a chapter length. But like, and I'm not saying people don't take that seriously, but if you, wrapped them all up in a book people would like would have a different clout to it yeah, yeah. weirdly you know but yeah, it's the same information well that's that's almost like a weird authority thing too right yeah. where books get more authority attached to them yeah, that's i mean that's part of book in a box yeah right <laughs> it's a good good premise it's a great though. model yeah. yeah but yeah I, I, the main thing with scarcity he mentions is to use arousal as the cue or it's if you feel yourself getting hyped up like oh man i have to buy this now yeah. there's probably a scarcity element going yeah. on right? if you feel that excitement that like tunnel vision oh I, this needs to happen right now that's a sign that someone's using scarcity that's an you. impulse buy really yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that is the impulse buy uh, and he also points out that something that most things are not made better by being scarce mm. like artwork is 
but a car isn't better just because there's fewer of them. Right. Right. Or like an electronics, you know, a piece of electronics or whatever. Right. It's not better because it's harder to get to get that. And so you have to try to like catch yourself when you start making that connection. Yeah. And I find that like this probably the best like of all. So some of these are clearly sales tactics. Mm -hmm. This one is like most clearly like a marketing tactic. Yeah. You could also use it as a sales tactic. <laughs> yeah. But it's a real like it's a very commonly used marketing tactic. Let's yeah. put it that way. Like even anything you the simplest example is like you go to a grocery store and something's like on sale for 50% off, but it's just for that week. So you're like, if I come back next week, it's not gonna be on sale. Right. So I better buy this now, even if you don't buy need extra. That thing. Yeah, exactly. You'll buy two of them or three of them, even though you might not actually need even one of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you just get you know, caught up in the fact that it's a limited that. period of time. You're going to save money, but you don't even think about, do I, do I need to be spending money right. in the first place on this thing? Yeah. Yeah. So you just got to watch for that arousal. And then he just, he goes from there and he kind of wraps up the book by showing just like some last ideas last tips and then i like how he closes it saying that we basically just have to punish everyone who's using these techniques and we can read the last section here where he says we should refuse to watch tv programs that use canned laughter if we see a bartender beginning a shift by salting his tip jar with a bill or two of his own he should get none from us if after waiting in line outside a nightclub we discover from the amount of available space that the wait was designed to impress passerbys with false evidence of the club's popularity we should leave immediately and announce our reason to those still in line in short we should be willing to use boycott threat confrontation censure tirade nearly anything to retaliate and i think he goes a little far there for me at least he goes a little far yeah because that would mean we have to boycott everything that uses literally FOMO everything <laughs> like, or like any right like yeah literally like every site on the every internet, site on the internet every store like, <laughs> yeah, we, t- we can't totally do that I possibly think. even this podcast because we're like using where we have sponsors so it's true we do yeah. we're using our authority and social proof right we <laughs> yeah. kind of are like, and our liking because right exactly yeah. and you guys like us so so if we should. like mushroom coffee you like yeah coffee, we love so. perfect keto.com slash thing yeah so and, i mean like i think he goes a little far and i'm honestly does he have quotes on the back of the book i if he has he quotes, must. if he has a door good point book, he's using he's using it too, too. hold so. on we have to look that would be the ultimate skin in the game if he doesn't let's see oh wait i've got a physical copy yeah i have mine at my apartment i forgot to bring it oh yeah all right he right, does right right on the front page over a quarter million copies sold there you go social proof he's got a huge quotation <laughs> from tom peters and then we've got quotations on the back from roger fisher from harvard the journal harvard, of marketing research That's harvard authority. Uh, yeah, authority uh david myers alan resnick journal of retailing he's got a quotation from charlie munger here <laughs> like yeah. okay so come on just take come the on, epilogue just take the epilogue with a grain of salt yeah exactly like, <laughs> it goes a little like no like, no skin the, in the game yeah the economy would not exist without like these tactics like yeah. this is just how humans operate so it's unfortunately how it is but yep. <laughs> you just kind of gotta go with it the best thing you can do is yeah be aware Taleb of it. would Taleb would have a field day with that if oh, he yeah. knew about uh, half of me like wants to when this episode comes out like <laughs> tweet it at him and be like we called out cialdini in this one in this game <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean the best thing you can do is read the book grab a copy yep definitely from from the show notes at majorthinkpodcast.com <laughs> learn the six influence weapons pretty well so you can watch out for them this is a good primer actually I think this is one of the episodes where we did a good job of actually hitting on a lot of the main points. We actually got through the whole yeah, outline. Yeah, we actually got through the outline. Which, which is, never happens. Yeah, like, pretty, pretty rare. It's pretty it hasn't happened in a while because we've had a few rushed episodes, even though maybe the people listening that they still yeah. have a couple hours long. But. <laughs> For us, they've been rushed. Yeah. yeah. So th- this was good from that regard. But yeah, pick up a copy of Influence. 
If you liked this and you haven't listened to our Charlie Munger episode, yeah, you'll really definitely like that do that one on the psychology of human misjudgments. It's only two episodes ago. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, a really good one. I think um, principles would be principles, another good one. Yep. We've mentioned a few of the other ones during this, yeah. but they're not using ourselves to death. To this topic yeah. A little bit. Uh, anti-fragile episode that's two. Always that's always a good one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Letters from a Stoic actually talks a little bit about, you know, mental hacks to avoid being distracted by some of these things. But uh, yeah, aside from that, check out the show notes, majorthinkpodcast.com. Sign up for the email list where you'll get access to the outlines that we use, the bonus content, which is if you didn't get enough goofing off during the episode, you get bonus goofing off content. Yeah. And and this this episode, our bonus content had detailed investment portfolios (laughs) for cryptocurrencies. Actually, it is the this one. The conversation before the episode was really good. It was all crypto. Just just to be clear, do not (laughs) seriously take our crypto. We don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. We have no idea what we're talking about. Absolutely no idea. We're We're just just guessing just like everybody else. Yeah. But if you are interested in cryptocurrency, you could check out that episode too. And there's a couple people on there who know a little more about it than us. So uh, you can they can shed some more light. Yep. Uh, if you had invested when you listened to our cryptocurrency episode, you'd well, be depending up. Depending on when they listened to it. Yeah, it's true. I guess yeah. it depends on when it came out. If you listened to it when it came out, yeah. you'd be up what? Although also, VX we're not sure where it will be when this comes out. That's true. So <laughs> you, might be, you might have you lost might, all of your yeah. money. <laughs> it's it, gone. It was like five or something when that Yeah, it was only like 5K. So, so what if it's like one at that time, 1K, yeah. and then it's like, <laughs> if you had invested at five, you would be wiped out. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you would be very angry at us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, the email list gets you access to that, gets you access to some giveaways we're planning on doing in the near future. And uh, it makes you part of the Cool Kids Club because all the cool kids are... We're using social proof now. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tons of people getting the email subscription. So you should too. Uh, uh, and leave a review. Thing. Yes. Please. Yeah. Best way you can support us is leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to support us even more, you can go to majorthinkpodcast.com slash support and you can click through to Amazon and buy literally anything there and we'll get a cut of that, which is awesome. Yeah. Or you can check out foursigmatic.com slash think to get mushroom coffee and cordyceps and everything to just like boost up your brain. They give you a nice discount if you use the coupon code think. I'm good at they per- have some cool stuff there too. They should, yeah, they, they got like really a hot stuff. cocoa as well, which I want to try. Yeah. So I think I'll they got, try They've got like a relaxing one too that I'm going to try soon with like yeah. reishi mushroom. It's good for like going to sleep. Yep. So yeah, you get like the whole day's worth of mental states that you need via mushrooms instead of unnatural supplements. Uh, Unnatural as we just called ourselves out on that earlier. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, if you're interested in ketogenic diet at all or just general weight loss, check out perfectketo.com slash think. They're also giving you a discount and anything you buy through that code will hook us up as well. I use their exogenous ketones coffee flavor pretty much every morning and then the mct oil powder is really good for getting like today yeah actually if you mix that in the mushroom coffee it's a nice combination it gives it like a latte consistency and it's also like almost a good uh snack yeah in between meals as well because it's pure fat it's like really good for mental functioning um that stuff is great highly recommend it and it must be why we're so focused during exactly yeah (laughs) got that laser focus from the the lion's mane the chaga and the mct oil if there's ever an episode where we have no tangents it's probably we've had too much mushroom coffee and (laughs) are way too focused (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then uh kettleandfire.com slash thing you get 20 percent off it's bone broth shelf stable bone broth excellent for just general health eating an ancestral diet i usually have at least it. a box or two a week i put it straight into my food or uh just you can drink it straight actually the 
beef broth mixed with cumin and a little bit of salt is really good. It's like a nice soup. Uh, especially now that it's getting colder. It's like yeah. really depending on where you are. Depending on where you are. Yeah. Where else is getting <laughs> where, where it's getting cold. Here, yeah. yeah. So yeah, check all of that out. Support your podcast hosts and we'll see you next time. Yeah, and reach out to us on Twitter. If oh yeah. That's anything that we got wrong, anything we got right and if, if we made you laugh if my yeah. if, if my dinosaur <laughs> fart joke made you uh, if that works yeah. exactly let us know um it's our sister podcast made you laugh made you- <laughs> <laughs> we practice our stand-up comedy routines <laughs> uh share the episode if you liked it if you want other people to know about it and uh yeah till next time till next time thanks everyone